Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Chris Sanzak and Aaron Kamenko. Sixteen weeks later, and here we are, still going strong with the quarantine sessions. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast. My name is Aaron Camaro, and I'm joined by Chris Sinzak. Is it July already? It certainly is. Merry I had Christmas. no idea. <laughs> uh, the quarantine is now spelled with a K for this month. All right, good. That's good. At least something's consistent in 2020, including the fact that last week, We kind of should have done a KISS episode then because it would have rolled right into July. But as we're recording this, it's Independence Day right here in the United States of America. And that means we're in July. So even though it's the quarantine sessions, we can spell that shit with a K and we can make it all about KISS. And that's what we're doing today. As you guys know, quarantine sessions, myself, Chris, awesome, cool guests to hang out with us. And today, because it's July... We're only talking about the hottest band in the land. That's right. I'm going to do a full-on KISS quarantine session, so I've been looking forward to this one. Yeah, me too. There are a few things in life that are more fun for me than talking about KISS. (laughs) And boy, did the listeners bring it with some wacky-ass questions today. They always do. I love them for it. So before we get to it all... Let's take care of that business we're talking about. The business is iTunes reviews, Podchaser reviews, Facebook recommendations, whatever. However, we love them. You can give them to us. Here's a perfect example of that right here. This one's entitled Awesome Fun Show. It's an Apple Podcast review. One, two, three, four, five stars. And it goes a little something like this. I think the time has come for me to finally write my review of this podcast. I've been listening for many years, and I enjoy the show very much. The recent quarantine sessions have been my favorite form of entertainment during the lockdown. Chris and Aaron have great chemistry together, and the show has an awesome format. 
I highly recommend the show to anybody that loves music in general, but especially rock and metal. Aaron has a voice that was made for radio and entertaining. And that being said, I can't understand how somebody could love Ugly Kid Joe as much as he does. (laughs) The show has awesome guest appearances from other podcasters, musicians, and sometimes everyday fans. I've learned quite a bit by listening to the show and always look forward to the newest episode. I am one of the diehard rock and metal combat podcast fan members. When my podcast dissolved, I started getting deeper into the Decibel Geek and Cobras and Fire, along with Vieira Vault and Diabolus in Podcastica to replace the irreplaceable rock and metal combat podcast. It takes four to replace one. Five stars to the Decibel Geek. And just so you know, I almost never write reviews, so for me to step out and write this one is really saying something. Keep on doing what you're doing, and that comes to us from Matt Weller's dick. What an awesome review. Man, that's double cool because, like he said, he doesn't write reviews. He doesn't do that kind of stuff. But for us, five stars. Gotta love it. Yeah. This review made my week. It was so cool to hear from him. And he's, uh, he's, Matt's been a huge contributor to the show since we started the quarantine sessions. Totally. He submits tons of great questions every week. Some of them are a little odd, but, um, <laughs> we, we love them anyway. And, uh, I, I, yeah, we've known Matt. Matt, I think Matt came to Rock and Pod too. So, um, thanks for all the support, man. And we all miss Rock and Metal Combat podcast, but, yeah. you know, Ralph's off doing his thing. Ian's doing the new thing with Toomey. And uh, we support them all. We love all you guys. It's it's quite a little dysfunctional community we've all built. But uh, thanks for the review. And, guys, keep sending those reviews in because we really like it. And Podchaser is a thing. Podchaser.com. <laughs> Look up Decibel Geek and leave us a review because we would like a lot more on there. It would, it would really be helpful. Yeah, that's not just something I make up when I say these things. That's real. <laughs> I know. I'm starting to wonder. <laughs> Oh, man. So much fun on last week's episode, too. Chris Aiken came on from the Classic Metal Show, told us all kinds of really cool stories, man. I was listening back to that Dio story, and it just blew me away how cool that guy was and how much I wish I could have met him and how happy I was Chris met him and shared that story with all of us. Yeah, that's um. there's several you know rock guys that we both grew up on that – we would have loved to have interviewed. Dio's probably close to the top of the list for me. I'm sure he is for oh, you, yeah, too. Definitely. Yeah. But, yeah, had an awesome time with him. Even squeezed a couple of crazy Brett Michaels stories out of him. <laughs> and everybody loved that. And the people that yeah. loved it the most, well, they're the ones that got out and shared and retweeted last week's episode. And uh, they're our honorary Geeks of the Week. That's right. Geeks of the Week this week are Bill Elam, Michelle Brugnani, Kevin Williams, Brent Walter, Wayne Cross, Andrew Jacobs, The Classic Metal Show, Aaron Baker, Shay Hargett, Baco, Covers and Fire Podcast, Mike Parnell, Jay Shabluski, Adam Cox, Simon Cat, Mikhail Burrell, Mark Alden Taylor, Joel Hoffman, Eladio, Ernesto Aguiar, Body of the Soul, JJP, Deadly Romantics, Hakon Bergstad, Daniel Lee, and as always, The, the Mooger Fooger. Hey, Chris. Yeah. I'm about to save your ass. What? Also shared by Rockin' Ron Runyon. Well, how did I miss? Oh, well, because he does it on. Oh, yeah. Check out our YouTube channel. <laughs> all the episodes are up on YouTube. Thanks to Rock and Ron Runyon. I'm he got you, man. He got you good. <laughs> you son of a gun. You left me off again. I know. You, you'd have thought I was the one doing all the Jaeger bombed. Uh-huh. But, yeah, you know, we got all kinds of cool stuff going on. The Facebook page. 
the Decibel Geek TV, the Click Tee Shop if you want to get yourself a t-shirt. Do it all, you know, submerse yourself in the world of Decibel Geek and in the world of hard rock and metal because there's a whole bunch of us here talking about all these cool things and we want you to be a part of it. You know, we did the chartable thing we talked about a few weeks ago where we were top 10 and we were basically the highest ranked rock and metal type show. And I would like to see that rise up. I would like to see, if nothing else and for no other reason, but to see metal and rock start overtaking some of these other types of music in the podcasting realm. I think that would be awesome and it'd be a huge statement. Let's do that. Yeah. Tell everybody about it. The Geeks of the Week, they share it, they retweet it. Not only do they get the honor of being a Geek of the Week, but they get to feel good in knowing that they are raising the flag of rock and metal just a little bit higher, and they're helping us do it. So, back to the quarantine sessions. This is July. That means it's time to celebrate KISS. And we got a special guest with us today. He's been a friend of ours since damn near the beginning. The shows that he has done with us are some of our best-received shows that we've done, and especially the one where he came on and taught us about Japanese visual K music and mm-hmm. how much that's changed my perception of music and all around. And he does a podcast of his own. Finally, we've been telling this guy for years, you need to do your own podcast. And now he's got one, the In Obscuria podcast. And I'm sure if you're listening to Decibel Geek, this is something you have to check out. And you know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about our friend and yours, the one and only, the bass player from The Swear. That's right. It's Kevin Williams. What's going on, brother? What's going on, guys? Happy Fourth of July. Happy Independence Day. I'll have you know I am enjoying a Kieran Light, yes, a Japanese beer on Independence Day. You, uh. you wouldn't have me do any other, right? <laughs> Hey, before we get going into this, I just want to thank both of you guys because I have been a listener for such a long time. And it started off, funny enough, you know, as everything does, it started off with Podcast. And I heard, I heard you on there, Chris. And, mm-hmm. and you were, I can't remember what episode it was. It's, it's been a long time, but you were talking. And I was like, this guy sounds like he might be interesting. He says he's with some other podcast. So I'll go check it out. And that's what got me started on Decibel Geek. And then I think I hit you up to do some shameless promotion of the swear. And uh-huh. actually, you actually played us on the new wave of British heavy metal ep- episode, which I was just delighted because I love Nawabam music and uh yeah just went from there and i just want to thank you guys for giving me the inspiration all these years i've been to all the rocking pods you know i've befriended all these uh different folks that you guys brought me together with and uh finally decided i'm just going to jump into it because there are just certain bands that nobody's talking about that i want to do so that's what i did so thank you guys Oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah, well, I love that it always goes back to Ken Mills. <laughs> he truly <laughs> is the pod father because, like, yeah, Ken, if, you know, I wouldn't be doing this one for Ken Mills. So, yeah, big shout out to Ken Mills for starting podcast and, and you know, carrying that on. But, yeah, I mean, as Aaron said, you know, you're one of the more knowledgeable people that we brought, we've brought on the show and you always do your homework, but you really get into the, the fine details of stuff. Yeah. So you're kind of. You're, you were tailor-made to be a podcaster, especially because of what you're covering is definitely a niche. But there's all, I always tell people, like, the more niche you get, the better the better off your show probably is because there's an audience for everything out there. I mean, hell, there's Needlepoint Podcast, if that tells you anything. 
I yeah, I, I will say that I don't get everything right, though, because I've had several people, you, you know how it is, people love to point out when you get things wrong, and of course, uh, I've had quite a few people tweet me and, and send me different things, like, hey, you got this point wrong, I'm like, well, well okay. <laughs> yeah, welcome to podcasting. <laughs> I don't know, I think, I think I figured it out, if you get the listeners to really, really like you, they'll cut you slack, because I know I've made some mistakes on stuff, but I've never gotten called out on it. And I'm, no, they just and, send me the and I'm talking I'm talking real recently something happened that I was listening back to the uh the edit and was like, oh shit. And I thought I'm gonna get in trouble for this. And everybody yeah, said, Well, like- it's just Camaro, we'll cut him a break this time. <laughs> no, I'm curious, what was it? I don't wanna say it now. <laughs> oh, well damn. Because now I'm like, I, I couldn't call edit you it out either, so I missed it too. That's the mystery. Yeah, I wouldn't ruin it for them or the me. Give us the episode. The last one. Okay. Oh, All right, we'll do our homework. And also, speaking of that, and since it is Christmas in July, I'd like to bring this up. Nobody ever called me out on the Peter, Chris, Elton, John thing either, did they? What was the Peter? Oh, well, I did. <laughs> you were the only one, and nobody else backed you up. And I never seen yeah. any evidence to the otherwise. So, decision stands. Judge's ruling well, official. I got. I have to get. I'll have to break Lydia Chris's book out off my bookshelf and read up on it because that's where I learned it. You better not. You might screw yourself out of some points, and there goes your five week winning streak. Well, we'll see if we'll see if I can retain that today. Kevin's a worthy opponent. I got some great oh, questions yeah. too. We'll see. I I, uh, I have a feeling I'm going to get the whole tip of tongue syndrome and not remember a damn thing. Are we doing all kiss questions today? Hell no, we can't do all oh. kiss questions. Are you crazy? I have a yeah, hard enough open. time finding two worthy kiss questions every single week. It's a struggle, I'm telling you. I would I would win every single week if it was all kiss, kiss questions. Maybe. Well, I, have- I don't know. There's been some weeks even in the kiss round where you got stumped on stuff that everyone was like, oh, you should have got that. Well, yeah, anytime you bring up like chart positions and stuff like that, but, I, I but when it comes to chart positions and stuff, I'm never asking, you know, on what date or what number no. was it. It's always relative to you can try try to figure it out. I would never ask for dates or positions. You know, that that's ridiculous. Nobody would ever remember that shit. Damn it, Aaron. Why did I do all that homework? Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. You already got all the answers ahead of time. Up. <laughs> oh, it's not that. It's Kevin's not that. wife is giving him flashcards. Is like, in 1979, Cheap Trick went to what number on the U.S. charts? 28. That's wrong. Back into the deck. You can pull out the next one. <laughs> <laughs> the Ron episode was classic. You guys, that was amazing. I loved it. I was laughing my ass off. <laughs> I'm glad you were. <laughs> well, I just remember when you guys were here and we met him at uh, down down in little five points in Atlanta and we just, we had lunch and it was just a good time. And I was like, Oh man, Ron is hitting those Jaegers pretty hard. And no, he keeps going, man. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he's, he's crazy. Waiting on a bus. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, here's something else. I know we got a lot of great questions about kiss, but I've got a question about kiss for you guys before we get started. If you want to indulge me in one. Sure. Mm-hmm. Because you guys might actually be able to help me out with this. I did a bad thing. I went to a music store. Now, the music stores haven't been open in a minute, and they all reopened. So apparently, they didn't stop their intake during the quarantine because 
we went in there and my wife pointed out a box that was sitting off to the side that was like a metalhead's collection of CDs that he came and sold off and they had them all together. I dropped over a hundred dollars in CDs. <laughs> wow. Man. I have never done that before in my life, but I have found such cool stuff, man. Such cool stuff. I'd love to go through it all, but this is a kiss episode, so I just want to talk about this one. I got a CD by a band called Garbo Talks. You guys ever heard of this? Garbo Talks? Garbo Talks. Never heard of it. No, I'd heard of this one, no. All right, well, it's got a little sticker on the front of it that's featuring P. Stanley of Kiss and B. Kulik, ex-Kiss. And what this is, there's a song on here called Game of Love. And it's got it's got Eric Carr on it. It's got Bruce Kulik on it, and it's got Paul Stanley on it. And Paul Stanley's singing backup vocals. And so this band is basically taking this song, I guess, that was a demo and just replaced parts of it and left the drums, replaced the bass, did a different guitar solo, but let but left Paul and Bruce's guitars in it. Nice. I'm stumping you guys already. Um, This well, came I- out in... Hmm. It says nineteen ninety-eight. I've Ooh. actually got some I've got I went ahead and looked it up. I've got okay. some info on it. Thanks to Julian Gill and the uh, KISS related recording site. Nice. The Garbo Talks project is an outgrowth of several different bands, including NYC and Soraya. You remember Soraya? I do. Uh and is made of a, made up of demos and new demos and new recordings between nineteen ninety and ninety-eight. Game of Love originally written for a Paul Stanley demo. Hmm. And for this recording, which is still a demo, Bob Held used parts of the original tracks like Eric Carr's drums, Paul's and Bruce's guitars, and also Paul's backup vocals. Other parts have been cut at later stages at a studio in New York. So, wow, I've never heard of this. Yeah, that's cool. And you just randomly picked this up. No, no, I saw the sticker on the front. Oh, you saw the sticker, okay. Yeah, I saw the sticker, because otherwise, like, Garbo Talks, I don't know what that is. Flipped it over. Paul Stanley, Bruce Kulik, okay, four ninety nine, add it to my bill. <laughs> also, uh, Andy Timmons from Danger Danger plays on some of this stuff too. Hmm, that's cool. Well, I'll have to check that out. Yeah. That's cool. I haven't even listened to it yet. Hmm. Just got it, but man, I got a whole big stack of CDs here. Some pretty cool stuff. Some really rare stuff too. Any Japanese stuff? That's what I want to know. I still got that whole big bag over there full of Japanese CDs. <laughs> Remember, I, I I sent you pictures of some of that stuff, right? You did. Yeah, you sent me some of it. Yeah. Some of them I hadn't heard of, and then I looked them up, and, and some of those bands were kind of that first wave of Visual K. That there were just so many artists. Yeah. But yeah. I, just, I haven't taken the time to really sit down with any of it. There was one I took out and stuck in. I thought it was the most metal-looking one. And it wasn't. (laughs) And I haven't really gone back to it, but I got a big paper bag full of Japanese rock CDs. Yeah, you can't go by the looks. You know that. I know that. Yeah. They may look metal, but they may not sound it. Right. Sometimes just the opposite. Because Aaron Aaron showed me those CDs, and I can't believe the amount of care that goes into the packaging on some of these albums. Like, they really... Their like their attention to detail on yeah. the packaging and marketing stuff is pretty insane. It, it is, and they you know they um they're not cheap. 
And so I think they put a little extra care into them because it's it's not cheap to buy those in Japan. Um, with everything in Japan, just the, the cost of living there is crazy. So they, they take extra care and put a lot into it. There's one that I got that it looks like one of them old school double CDs, like the big box. But then you open oh. it up. And it's got like this piece of cardboard with these two special collector buttons on there, and it's all shrink wrapped in. It's like, man, what a trip, you know, and the booklets and the posters and things that come along with them. I guess, you know, like you say, it costs a little more in Japan, but that's, you think back to the day when, you know, albums would have an extra track for the Japanese version, and that's probably why, right? That is why. Yeah, that is why they did it. Plus, they they um, they really like their publicity. They they really go the extra mile with you know marketing and, and their publicity campaign. So they like to have a little extra on the Japanese releases. Well, when it comes to CDs, Japan is getting it right. Exactly right for sure. Cool, cool. So, uh, are we ready to dive into the questions? Let's do it. All right, Aaron, you're leading the charge okay. today, so I'll let you take over. Let me get to my spot here. All right, let the Kissmas in July celebration begin. Our first questions come to us from Instagram. The first one is from Abdijayajah. That's Hakan Bergstock. Oh, it looks a lot different when you say it. What period yeah. of Kiss would you have liked to have seen record a Christmas or a Kissmas album? Is it a missed opportunity or are you glad it never happened? <laughs> if uh the closest they ever got to doing that was i think during the crazy nights tour they they would get out on stage and acapella sing white christmas around christmas time but huh. i've always i mean you know it's one of those things where it's like i don't know that i'd really be jazzed about kiss doing a christmas record but it was one of those things where it's like why have they not done this because it seems like such a natural fit um i guess if i would I would like to see the current lineup do something like this because I think they would probably do it justice. So, yeah, I guess the current lineup would be my answer for this. Yeah, I guess I'd probably have to agree with that because I don't think you're going to talk Ace Fraley into doing a Christmas album back in the day. <laughs> see, it was snowblind. Fuck you, Curly. We ain't doing that shit. I gave you <laughs> see, the I elder. Could- That's the end. <laughs> <laughs> I could totally hear Peter Christ crooning some christmas songs so i i yeah. think it would be the this you know around 77 78 you have that lineup doing a christmas album you know half hanukkah half christmas <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> dreidel, dreidel. gene does heavy dreidel um heavy no, man, dreidel. Uh, that sounds a little crazy i could totally see peter chris doing some christmas songs we could do a little drummer boy right <laughs> of course <laughs> oh man, you better call Bob Kulik because I don't think Ace is showing up for this one. <laughs> I don't think Bob is either. Oh, I'm talking about yeah. in '77. Yeah, too soon. Sorry, too soon. Yeah, I don't know. It's one of the things where it's like, if Kiss did a Christmas album, would it be cool? Eh, not really. Would it be cool enough that that's what you would play on Christmas? Most definitely. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't I mean, be excited about it, but so. I'd own it, and I would play it on Christmas, totally. Yeah, Cheap Trick did one. I own that one. Yeah. Christmas Sister did one, so I could see it. Yeah, kind of surprised they haven't. Uh, let's see, more Instagram. Grayson666, 
Which Kiss song best describes your life during this quarantine? That's pretty easy. Mine's Getaway. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go with your answer. That's pretty good. <laughs> it's like they knew it was coming and wrote a song about it. So I'll, I'll go with an asylum cut just for Sonny Pooney. I'm alive. <laughs> <laughs> That's good enough these days, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. I'll take it. <laughs> All right. Now, not only does Idiot Boy Matt leave awesome reviews of the show, he also leaves awesome questions. We got a few right here from him. First one, what are your thoughts on Kiss Saves Santa on Family Guy? Oh, I absolutely love it and it was such a great surprise when i saw it i i think i saw that when it actually aired and i thought it was so cool because seth mcfarland has to be a kiss fan because kiss has come up several times on that show my favorite but still my favorite family guy kiss related line was where peter and his wife are going to the kiss concert and uh he goes oh that guy's dressed up as peter chris even peter chris doesn't want to be peter chris (laughs) yeah I always like the one, and it's not the Kiss Save Santa. It's uh, I think it's the one with Kiss Stock. That's probably yeah. that same one. And uh, like they're standing there, they're doing the commercial, and Gene's doing the talking. Like, yeah, this where we were doing these shows on this night, and Ace just interrupts some rock and roll. <laughs> and Gene goes, stops and looks at him, goes, "Yeah, why don't you just go stand over there for a minute?" <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny that. that you know, and he's got to be a Kiss fan, and he's got to be a big Kiss fan to do such an inside reference of how Ace is and how Gene treats Ace for being who he is. You know, <laughs> you gotta you gotta be a big Kiss fan to know that kind of deep stuff. Yeah, I've actually never seen the episode being referenced so really oh no i've never seen it i don't i don't watch a lot of uh the animated shows not not my thing not american ones anyway this right (laughs) (laughs) you ought to check that out though it is pretty cool it's like uh peter griffin's got a video cassette and it's called kiss save santa and it's supposed to kind of be like if Kiss would have came out with this TV movie back in the 70s, and it's his favorite thing, and things keep happening to interrupt him from getting to watch his favorite show, his favorite <laughs> Christmas holiday show. I'll go check it out. And sure. it is pretty awesome. All right, Matt's next question. It didn't take long for this to come up. It's the classic kill, marry, or fuck story. And this one ain't a lot of fun either. It's Vinnie Vincent, Fake Fraley, or Ian Wadley. Oh, boy. All the good stuff I said about Matt, I take back right now. Yeah, these um, are just brutal, and they they don't get any easier, and this might be the worst one yet. Well, I'm killing Vinny Vincent, that's for sure. Yeah, um, yeah definitely. <laughs> uh, I guess I'm going to marry Tommy Thayer or fake Fraley, and I guess I'm fucking Ian Wadley. Oh, boy. <laughs> Man, and I thought this was the week when all three of us were going to get to marry Ian Wadley, because that's what I'm doing. What are your others, though? <laughs> oh, uh, we'll obviously kill Vinnie Vincent. And we'll do the unspeakable with Tommy Thayer, I guess. I think I'll have my phone with Vinny. He's closer to a woman. Oh. <laughs> I'm not going to defend that. And then I'll have to kill Thayer. And and I'll marry Wadley because I think that'd be pretty interesting. You know what? That ain't bad. Life partner. 
<laughs> that ain't bad. I think I'm going to go ahead and change my vote to that, too. That makes a lot of sense. Because if you kill Tommy Thayer, then they got to bring Ace Frehley back then, right? No, but you already said you're going to have sex with Tommy Thayer. Oh, man. See, I guess the really <laughs> tough question is, is if if Tommy Thayer said, I'll quit Kiss and Ace Frehley can come back, but you got to have sex with me, would you do it? <laughs> you would. So you... Well, I would, but we're not talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> this truly shows the extent of Aaron's love uh, of Ace Frehley. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I've seen Ace lately, and no, I don't want him back in the band. So, was what do you not mean, seen him live, or what do you mean? Well, I saw I saw him on the cruise when he was on the cruise. That was the last one I was on. Yeah, and uh, it was just—I mean—he had such a great band behind him, and his his performance was just lacking. It was huh. almost. Embarrassing, to be honest. Hmm. We caught him on. We caught him on a good night here in Nashville. Yeah, we did. Well, you caught him after he probably rehearsed. He didn't rehearse at all when he went on the cruise, and it was. I mean, to be on that stage with those fans, he should have given a shit. You know, that's true. Yeah, most definitely. There more than ever because there you got the most hardcore, hardcore Kiss fans. You really got a kick in the ass for them, especially. Yeah, I was. I was disappointed in him. Oh, yeah, because I, th- I think Bruce Kulick has clowned everybody, including Kiss, on those cruises. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. And I, I got to see the uh, the Kulick brothers the year before that, which oh, I'm so jealous. glad I got to see that. That was amazing, amazing. Unexpected. What a, sure. what a set list, right? Oh, my God. Pol- Joe Polo and I were just like arm in arm. Just We just couldn't believe what was going on. So, yeah, it was awesome. That's awesome, man. Oh, so cool. Ah, I'm ready for the Kiss Cruises and shit like that to come back. Done with all this. All right, well, Idiot Boy Matt continues, and it does not get any easier. If you are forced to have a threesome with yourself, Heather Thomas, sounds good. Oh, wait, and one member of Kiss, (laughs) which member of Kiss would you pick? Oh, my God. What the fuck? Current band, uh, current band, or are we talking of all time? I guess of all time, because it doesn't really say. Doesn't well, it doesn't make it any easier either <laughs> way, does it? <laughs> you got a point. <laughs> well, I wow. guess I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Tommy Thayer, and I'm gonna send him out to get some coffee, and then I'm gonna lock the door. Oh wow! No, this is twice you've you've talked about having sex with Tommy Thayer. I guess I already that. it already it, happened once. You know what's it's, what's it's a trend. It's easier the second time. I think we're learning a lot more about Aaron Camaro today. Um, mm-hmm. Eric Carr was kind of lovable, so I'd say him. <laughs> Damn it. I, I'm going to go Alice Cooper because I love the dead. I'll, I'll, I'll go with Mark St. John. Oh, you're terrible. That's gross. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Williams is now admitted to being a necrophiliac, and we're still in the Instagram questions. This is going to be fun. <laughs> Nice. Another Kieran light for me, please. (laughs) All right. Why is everybody so down on Animal Eyes? I loved it as a kid, and I love it now. How do you guys feel about Mm. Animal Eyes as an album? I love that record. I, uh... Yeah, I mean, everybody, everybody likes to pick on Burn, Bitch, Burn for the lyrical content. I'll still say the riff for Burn, Bitch, Burn is a great riff. Shit, yeah. But, uh, but uh, 
The only th- murder in high heels, I still think, is one of the worst Kiss songs ever created. But I will say a lot of Gene stuff, like "While the City Sleeps," I think is a great song. Yeah. I love Paul's stuff on. I mean, "Heaven's on Fire" is overplayed, but it, you have to admit it's a it's a catchy, good radio song. I think "Thrills in the Night's a great song. I think "I've Had Enough" is an amazing opener. Um, "Under the Guns" okay, but it's one of those songs to like we have to have a fast song, so let's do this song. But Overall, I think it's a good record. I mean, I still like Asylum better. It's funny, when I was a kid, I thought Animalize was better than Asylum. But I think in hindsight, I think Asylum's better. But Animalize is not that bad. I think the the times that it came out and the album cover hurt it. I think the album cover is absolute garbage. But yeah. I, do, I do like the record overall. I think the production is what, to me, I, I'm the same with you, Chris. I, I like Asylum better. That's where I came into Kiss as far as my first album with them. But... I really like Animalize. I always have. I love I've Had Enough. I think that's just a great... It's probably my top ten of Kiss songs of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the production on that album just kind of hurts it. I, I have a soft spot for it because I also came in right at that time where you know, I was seeing the Animalize live on video. I would rent it from my local rental place at least every week, it seemed like. So I have a kind of soft spot for that album. I, I think it's great. I got a soft spot for it, too, because that was an interesting album for me because I was a little kid who liked Kiss, was really too young to really know anything about it other than what I'm hearing coming out of the speakers and what it looks like when I'm looking at the album covers. But when my Uncle Bruce got animalized, he got it new. And he was like, you want to hear the new Kiss record? And I was like, whoa, new Kiss record, yeah. And I'm looking at it, and I flip it over, and these guys aren't wearing makeup. And I don't recognize some of the names. This is when I realized that Kiss wasn't the same Kiss that I knew. Because I really didn't, I wasn't old enough to buy the magazines to keep up with what was happening with the band. I had no idea Ace Frehley wasn't in Kiss. And I had no idea Peter Chris wasn't in Kiss until I sat down with Animal Eyes in front of me. I looked at my Uncle Bruce like, what? what is this? You know, what's going on here? And he's like, oh, well, you know, this is Mark St. John, and that's Eric Carr, and, you know, like, what happened to the other dudes? And you're like, oh, well, they left. You know, they're not in the band no more. And it's like, but what what about the makeup? Where's the makeup at? Well, they don't wear makeup no more. I'm like, oh, man. But then I listened to the music. I was like, man, the music is still Kiss. You know, it's it's still Gene and Paul for sure, you know, and that's kind of was an awakening in music for me to it really kind of opened it up to well if this can all happen with this band what's happened with these other bands you know and and things like that but it really it was a change in me it was like where you guys say well i came in on crazy nights and i came in on asylum well i was listening to kiss records when i was a little bitty kid so it was kind of like animalized was like a reawakening and kind of put me into the current timeline kind of so to speak and made me updated on where kiss was but it was a shock but i love the songs and so i'm sure i think i had to have asked for it you know birthday christmas whatever was next you know i want that but i remember listening to that album and closing my eyes and pretending that it was still original kiss (laughs) (laughs) like visualizing the makeup and all that the costumes and then these songs but I was like, I, said, I, remember, I was real young. I remember because, um, like, I got into Kiss around '87, so Crazy Nights is what they were supporting. But at the video store, what they had 
basically to offer for watching Kiss was the animalized live uncensored video. Mm-hmm. So I would watch that. And the thing that kind of cracks me up in hindsight, you know, I'm just an impressionable like 11, 12 year old. And I'm like, you know, Paul's introducing songs like Under the Gun and Thrills in the Night. And they're acting like these are the greatest things ever. <laughs> and I remember thinking at the time, why, like, wow, these songs are like in league with, you know, Love Gun and Rock and Roll All Night. And like totally buying into the whole thing. Like they did a great job of selling you on what was new if you were a kid yeah. that didn't know any better. Because they're like Under the Gun, Thrills in the Night, Heaven's on Fire. They're introducing these like and like acting like they're some of their greatest hits. And you don't you don't find out till later. It's like, oh, that's an album track that they only played on that one tour. But uh you know, as a fan who's fed up to the, to hear with uh greatest hit set list, you know, it's nice to hear those songs done live. Right. Absolutely. And and that was all I knew when I came into KISS. It was right around the time that Asylum came out. Uh, I had a cousin who had Animalized. And those are the only two albums that we knew. And I knew of Kiss. I had drawn them when I was a little kid in the 70s, but I didn't know any of the music other than what they might have played on TV at the time. But I didn't have anything. So when I had the Animalized Live Uncensored, it was kind of that I was that guy who was thinking, oh, well, they got some older songs that I've never heard. Um, yeah, they, they compare to these Animalized things okay. <laughs> it's like wow. I was backing into to all of their seventies music that they were playing all the hits, you know. So it was, it was I was that guy you're talking about. That's cool. So you know, Animalize might catch some shit from some people, but we all love it. Yeah. All right, Andrew Jacobs, twenty dollars says at least one of you likes my favorite Kiss song of all time. You love me to hate you. Am I twenty dollars richer or twenty dollars poorer? You're richer. I I don't know that. Well, I I don't know that I love the song, but I do like it. And I remember Aaron and I got to interview Desmond Child, and and he even brought that song up when we were trying to steer him towards Kiss material because uh-huh. you know he would recycle ideas between artists. So he had the hit with Joan Jett called "I Hate Myself for Loving You," and then he had the song for Kiss, "You Love Me to Hate You." So he would like take things and just kind of flip flop them, but that that's where that song came from. That's a Desmond Child tune. I do think Paul whines a little bit in the in the chorus part, but overall, I think it's a decent song. Have you guys ever tried to sing along to that song? Oh my God, he yeah. is so high. I don't know how he hit those notes. Yeah, Paul Stanley's vocals on that song are insane. Like I don't. Yeah, that's that's some Rob Helford stuff. You know, you don't usually think of Paul Stanley in the same realm with like a rob helford or uh bruce dickinson but man you listen to this song he's just as strong if not stronger than some of those guys i think i think and i think musically for hot in the shade it's one of the stronger tracks personally i dig it yeah i don't hate it either i think it's pretty good i guess i mean there's stuff i like a lot more there's definitely stuff i like a lot less in the kiss catalog all right so enjoy your twenty dollars andrew there you go add it up it's 60 (laughs) Checks in the yeah. mail. <laughs> Rono Reb, he wants to know whose makeup is your favorite? Tommy, singer, and Juice Newton, not included. God, the joke that will never die. Um, <laughs> I know, and you were going to pick Juice Newton's makeup too. Oh, yeah, of course I was. Um, I got. I still got to go with Gene. I think Gene's makeup and his character to this day is one of the coolest things in rock and roll history. 
I didn't think that was a choice. No, he said Tommy Eric Tommy Thayer, Eric Singer, and Juice Newton are not included. Oh, okay. I totally misheard that. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I thought those were only three to choose from. Oh, no, hell no. no. Not included. Because I was going to say, I don't like the way that, uh, I actually hate the way that Eric Singer does the Catman makeup. I don't think it looks good. I don't either. When you look at the Peter Chris makeup, the original, it's a, it, there was an evolution in that. I guess there was evolution in all of it, except for maybe Paul's. But I think they're all yeah. cool. Except for maybe Paul's. But Gene's is just so iconic. I, I have to go with Gene. It's absolutely Gene. Now, what era of Gene's makeup? Because, it, you know, the bat on his eyes have grown yeah. and shrunk. Yeah. And I like the Dynasty era. I like the big, huge bat. Yeah, Love Gunner Dynasty. That that period of time is my favorite. I think so, too. And if I was looking at Ace Frehley, because that would be my close second, because Gene's is pretty iconic, and it's pretty awesome, attention-grabbing, kind of a little bit scary. It's badass. But even Ace is in that era where he started putting the blue over his eyes or leaving yeah. his eyelids not covered was pretty badass. I like that, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah Ace... Ace is a close second. Ace is a close second for me. Although, and you know, personal issues aside, I still think Vinny's onk makeup is yeah. cool. True. I think uh, there's such a big difference between Ace's, look at the first album cover, and then look at where he ended up on, on Dynasty. It's such an evolution. of yeah. The Dynasty makeup for Ace is just awesome. Shit, yeah. It all is cool, I think. Paul Stanley's is the only one that's just kind of boring. It never really changed yeah. because what do you change about it? Well, what do you think about the bandit? I like the bandit. I think in an alternate world that you never knew the difference, I think the bandit would have been just fine. He'd have been it like the bandit of love or something. I like it okay, but I still think it pales compared to just the star. I think for for that for him, for anyone else, it wouldn't work just doing it over one eye. But for Paul, I think it, it's perfect with the star. I think the star works better. I think when I was younger, I just thought the bandit was cool because I didn't know it as well, and yeah. I thought, oh, he should have gone with that. But in hindsight, the stars it just fits Paul. So he is. Yeah. But the bandit almost looks sick. It almost looks like Eric Carr's makeup might have been influenced by the Bandit a little bit. Well, yeah, we should um, we should talk about Eric Carr's makeup a little bit because, like, you know, we had Pixie on to talk about the evolution of that because, and that story is so crazy that they were up to the like literally the eleventh hour trying to figure out what his makeup was going to look like before the Palladium show, and it wound up more like the Bandit makeup, you know, for that one show. But then, you know, once he decided to put that little white stripe down the middle of his nose, it changed everything. And I, I have to admit, you know, his makeup did look like a fox. I I love Eric Carr's makeup, but it doesn't really get a lot of discussion. No, you look point. cool as hell. Yeah, I like it. I, I kind of wish they wouldn't have gone with an animal. It just seemed like the obvious choice. Well, Peter Chris was a cat, so we have to pick another animal. Like, they didn't have to do that. <laughs> You know, but it is pretty good looking, and it does. When you say it's the fox, it does look kind of like a fox or a raccoon. But <laughs> I like them all. I think they all look pretty cool. Yeah. All right. Here's one from EJ Spink. If you met someone who was on the fence about Kiss because they only know the songs that are played on classic rock stations, what three deep cut tracks would you play for them? That would kickstart their journey to the dark side. Hmm. 
That's an interesting question. Um, I don't know if it's a deep track. I mean, Black Diamond, I think, is the perfect all-encompassing Kiss song. I've always thought it, I would play the version from Alive. There's also there's a um, there's a YouTube video that has sort of a whole history of the band with that song. I would play that song because it, it features Paul on vocals at the beginning, Peter on vocals through the whole song. It's got an amazing ace guitar solo. It's got a double solo. I think that song has everything. Um, other deep tracks. It would really depend on what the person likes, yeah. though. I mean, like, you know, is is the person a fan of power pop or are they a fan of metal? Because there's different facets of Kiss that cater to those different things. So if they were like a fan of New Wave of British Heavy Metal... I would probably play some stuff off of either Creatures or Lick It Up, you know, maybe Gimme More or something like that. But if they're a Power Pop fan, I would play them Tomorrow or, you know, from Unmasked or something like that. Yeah. So it really kind of depends on the person. I would cater it to what their tastes are. I suppose you're not going to go to them and say, hey, check out this song, Sure Know Something, and then check yeah. out this song, Unholy. Huh? Yeah, awesome. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, they're... That's the thing I love about – like I love ACDC for their consistency, but at the same time I love KISS because there is something for every mood you could possibly have. So, you know, That's it's – I would have to – you know, and this is me being really nerdy, but I would I'd have to meet the person to find out what they actually like before I could suggest those songs. I agree with that, but here, here's my thing. If – I believe the qu- question read that they've heard the hits, right? Yeah, they've heard the hits. Here's here's what I would say to that. I would say I would lock them in their car or in their room, and I would give them a live two and say, listen to the whole damn thing. And if you're telling me that those hits don't get you, then you're not going to be converted. Yeah, yeah but I mean, or there's 80s material that's totally different than that, though. Hmm. I don't know a single Kiss fan that only likes 80s. Like, the 80s stuff was great, but it's those classic songs and, and if you're telling me that you've heard those classic songs and you don't like Kiss, I don't think you're ever going to get Kiss. That's, that's that, that is the essence of Kiss. I guess if I could only pick three, and it's just on average, somebody that's already heard Detroit Rock City and Rock and Roll All Night, all the hits, I'd say uh, definitely Black Diamond for sure. I Want You and 2000 Man. Those are those the three I'll play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was about to say, 2000 Man, actually, from from the, the punk musician in, in me, that song actually spoke to me. I love that version that Ace does. Yeah. I think it's great. All right, here's one from our good friend Victor at Mars Attacks Podcast. He wants to know how many songs off the Invasion albums would have been on Animal Eyes. <laughs> Well, I think I mean, at, least, I, at least three, I think. Yeah, I think uh, Shoot You Full of Love would have been on there. I think Animal mm-hmm. obviously would have been on because there's rumor that Animal was a song that was already submitted to the band, and that's how they got the idea for Animal Eyes. And I think Twisted and Do You Want to Make Love. I, so that's four songs I think wow. would have possibly been on Animal Eyes had Benny stayed. See, the ones I looked at on that first album, I thought, Boys Are Gonna Rock, sung by Gene. Do You Want to Make Love, sung sung by Gene. Back on the Streets, sung by Paul. And maybe I Want to Be Your Victim, sung by Gene. Now, obviously, but, the yeah. songs sung by Gene aren't going to sound anything like Robert Fleischman, but right. Gene would have found his own way to take those songs and make them something he could sing and sound good to, I think. And they would have been great. Well, you're... I- 
Well, you're kind of close because, I mean, and they kind of did do some of that because the original demo for Boys Are Gonna Rock, the verse parts were wound up on Lick It Up for On the Eighth Day. Oh, yeah, that's the same right. verse parts. That's right. And then also, um, what was the other one you said? I can't remember. There was another thing they ended up borrowing for Lick It Up also. So, I mean, it would have been a mix, but, I mean, I think, you know, fuck Vinnie Vincent as a person. But, I mean, as far as material goes, I think animalized would have been so much fucking stronger had Vinny stuck around for that album. Yeah, I agree. Probably right. Yeah, definitely. The production probably would have been better too. If he would sand in it. Hmm. I never really thought about uh, that before, but yeah. I think uh, at least half of that album would have been, would have been on animalize. Um, I think all the ones you guys mentioned, they would have picked from those, but they would have obviously, changed every single one of the guitar solos yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. oh and i was gonna say uh back on the streets was demoed for creatures of the night with paul singing so somewhere that exists hmm i'd like to hear that yeah all right do you think if if Vinny would have stuck around for animal eyes and he would have contributed all them songs. Do you think they would have let him sing one on that album? If that was his third album in a row and things, I guess I guess that all depends on if you sign the contract or not, huh? He didn't sing on his own album. I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think he would have done it. No, he did. He sang the verse parts on Back on the Streets. Oh, he did? I didn't know that. Yeah. But even well, at the, that, the, you know, being a member of KISS, but I guess at that <clears> time it wasn't really like that, but they... This I guess this would be one of those what ifs. So what if Vinnie Vincent signs the contract? What if the makeup doesn't come off? What if Kiss looks at it, Gene and Paul, and says, we want to recreate what we had with the original band. We want the drummer and the guitarist to also each sing a song on the album. Then I guess Vinnie Vincent would have been singing a song on Animal Eyes and maybe Eric Carr too, and it would have been a completely different album. It's I mean, it's... <clears throat> it's certainly possible. I mean, I think it wouldn't surprise. I mean, because on Lick It Up on the trade-off part near the end of the song, a lot of people think it's Gene and Paul going back with the, yeah, yeah, that's that's not Paul and Gene. That's Paul and Vinny. Yeah. If you pay close attention. So, I mean, if, you know, in a perfect world where Vinny actually plays ball and signs a contract, I wouldn't be shocked if he sang a song on the next record because it would have, you know, if things were happier. But I don't know. I mean, from... Everything Paul Stanley says, he was never sold on Vinny being part of the band to start with. So who knows? Yeah, that would have been big. Cool. What if that would have been pretty cool though to hear? Yeah, oh sure. Uh, all right. Um, uh, I'm not reading the next one. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering, <laughs> Matt Willers, Dick. You know which one we just skipped? You sicky. <laughs> that brings us up to. Oh, those. Oh, yeah. So those. Some of those were Twitter. So that brings us up to Facebook now. And our first one is from John Phillips. He wants to know why do fans put so much emphasis on the makeup? The makeup didn't write or play the songs. It's just a way to present the music. I will disclose that while I was aware of them in the '70s, I didn't become a fan until the '80s. That's probably pretty rare. If you didn't like them in the 70s, you thought, wow, these guys look goofy. You know, this is kid stuff. But then come around in the 80s, be like, this is Kiss? Well, I like this now. That's got to be pretty rare. Yeah, I don't. 
you know, I'm one of those people that didn't come in. I didn't come into the band until the '80s. So for me, I got into the band during the Crazy Nights era, and they weren't wearing makeup. And then, but like, it was a interesting thing to see all the old photos and stuff, and be like, "Wow, this band was so different back in the day." But I don't know. I mean, it is there is a it's a fair point. There is a lot of emphasis on the makeup, but I don't know. I mean, I, I I've uh, maybe I think coming into the band in the '80s helped me kind of appreciate what I like musically from them more so much, more so than the makeup. So. I don't know that I'm the right person to answer this question, but um, but yeah, I mean, I to me it's all music. I mean, it doesn't matter if they're wearing makeup or not, and I, they certainly weren't wearing makeup when they recorded all these records. So I um, I've just if it's if it's musically good, then I'm good with it. But uh, I don't if it's like, but there are people that like, oh, that came out during the original six albums, so I have to like it. I'm sorry, but Ladies in Waiting still sucks, even though they wore makeup during that time. Oh. <laughs> I don't well, know. I guess the simple answer probably is, is be, just because they look so freaking cool, and it's not like there's a thousand other bands that look like Kiss. So it's their thing, you know. It was their thing for so long, and is their thing again, you know. And it's what sets them apart so much from every other band out there. Are there other rock bands that write great songs? Sure. Is there anybody else that looks like Kiss? Uh-uh. And there never has been, and there never will be another Kiss. And you know that's a big part of the. The genetic makeup of that band is the makeup. You know, it's it. People gravitate to it because it's so attention grabbing, and it's such a big part of the whole. You know, so it's it's important. Is it as important as the songs or the music? No, uh, uh-uh. and it didn't have nothing to do with the songs or the music. Because, like Chris said, they weren't wearing the makeup in the studio, and they weren't wearing the makeup when they wrote the songs. You know, so but you can't take away what a huge part of Kiss that is. So, Chris, my question to you is, when you got into KISS, Crazy Nights is out, did you have Mm -hmm. absolutely zero perception of what they had done in the 70s, of the makeup and the way they looked? Oh, no. I mean, I knew who who KISS was, but it was one of those, like, tangentially. That's a big word, like gymnasium. I don't know what Um, it means. I, like my brother got a Peter Chris puzzle with him holding the cats on the on the chains and okay I've told this before but I also they came and played in Atlanta during the Creatures of the Night tour and they showed footage of Gene spitting blood and I remember like helping my mom in the kitchen and seeing that on TV and that actually gave me nightmares like so I knew Kiss was <laughs> was an entity that that had makeup but. It was one of those things where, like, when I got into them, it was during Crazy Nights, and what they were doing fit in with Poison, Rat, Bon Jovi, and all those bands. So it was like I didn't take them seriously until they didn't have makeup on. So I I don't know. It, it actually took me a little while to come around to the makeup era of the band. If that's uh, and then that to a lot of Kiss purists, that's going to sound insane. But to me. You know, I originally got into them without makeup, and then it took me a little while. But of course, once I heard "Alive," that changed. But I don't know; it was more of a more of a thing where I got into them without makeup before I ever got into them with makeup. So for me, it really was about music to start with. Yeah, I'm kind of with you because I, like I said, I came in right as Asylum is out, and but I do remember them in the 70s i remember watching some of phantom when i was a little kid i didn't get to see the whole thing i had to go to bed and i remember i just remember them and i think when i got into them in 86 
you know, I'm coming out of punk rock and kind of thrash metal, and then I see Kiss at the record bar in Pineville, North Carolina. I remember this. And I'm flipping through the cassettes, and I, I pick the latest one, and it's Asylum. And I listen to it, and I love it, because I'm just starting to get into that sort of glam metal and that sort of thing as well. So it was the same thing with me, but there was something about, because I knew their past, and I, I had some tie to that in, in a way that you know I used to draw them and things like that, something about that past made them, say, more special than maybe Twisted Sister or whoever else was you know, big at that time. So it, I, I agree that it's, to me it was always about the music first, but at the same time I knew they were special because they had that past and they had that look and it just made, it set them apart. Yeah, most definitely. And I just think of like listening to Double Platinum. And like I said, my story is weird too because I was so little when I was listening to them and I would just discover my Aunt Pam or my Uncle Bruce's records. You know, I was always listening to music and so when I would listen to their records, and Kiss really jumped out to me, and it was musically because it wasn't like I was opening up Kiss Alive 2 and looking at that picture. I was looking at Double Platinum, which isn't really, you know, doesn't give you the greatest visual of what the band is. You just get the embossed silver faces, which, I mean, you, you look at that and know this is something special, and I think that's what it is. It just makes them something special. They're a great band, have written so many great songs over the years, but the makeup and the costumes and the whole presentation is a big part of what makes them just special and unique, and so that's why people kind of grab onto that, because with a band like Kiss, kind of like the Beatles, kind of like the Monkees, maybe not too many other bands, but... There's somebody, who's your favorite member? You know, people don't really say right. the Chili Peppers, you know, hey, I like the Chili Peppers. Oh, yeah? Which one's your favorite member? You know, <laughs> when you get Kiss, you say, oh, I love Kiss. I say, oh, yeah, which, which one you like the best, you know? Well, the answer is Hillel Slo- Slovak for the Red Hot oh, Okay, Chili so there are exceptions to the rule. <laughs> I'm just fucking around. <laughs> I like his placement better, but okay. Yeah. Huh. Part of being unique, part of being Kiss. Jimmy Clifford's got a really good question here, and this one you guys are going to love because it's right in your era. What if Crazy Nights, the song or the album, became a massive hit in the USA? Would Kiss have continued in that vein for a series of albums like Hart did, with Nevison producing, slick pop sounds, outside writers... You know, all that stuff. How would major success in the late 80s change the course of their career for the 90s? So let's say Crazy Crazy Nights goes to number one on the U.S. Billboard singles charts. How does that change Um, the world? It would have been a blessing and a curse. Because, I mean, obviously it would have been a blessing because it would have turned their finances around. Which, if you've read... C.K. Lentz Kiss and Sell book, you realize that they were really broke at that time. But at the same time, it would have been a curse because, as we know, Kiss, if they if something's working, they will milk it till it's dry. And if this came out in 87, so you got to realistically figure 87 to 89, they would have milked this as much as they could with singles and touring. So then 90 comes around, and they're... I'm just, and this is this is me being very critical of Paul and Gene, especially. They would have been like, "Well, look at all the success we had from Crazy Nights." Yeah, I know this Nirvana band's doing well, but let's continue what we were doing. And they would have put out another Crazy Nights type record, and it would have bombed. But 
I don't know. Revenge always gets all this love because, well, Kiss got tough again. But honestly, it was too little too late. So it would have been a thing where they you would have like delayed even a revenge-type record happening until 94, maybe. And I just think it would have been it would have been bad. I mean, they would have financially done better, of course, if it was a hit. But I think in the long run, it probably would have hurt them because, um, I hate to say this because I'm a diehard Kiss fan, they would have tried to repeat what they had done before because it was successful. Like, Dynasty was successful, and that got you unmasked. So I think they would have tried to do the same thing with Crazy Nights. I completely agree with that. I think they would have, um, we would not have had revenge or carnival of souls as we know them today. They wouldn't have existed the same way. I think they would have kept going until they had to change, which would have been around 92 where they would have to make that choice of, are we going to change? Are we going to die? So I think it definitely would have changed. It would, you know, there would be three albums in there that we would not have today the way that we have them. So we wouldn't have Hot in the Shade, we wouldn't have Revenge, and we wouldn't have Carnival of Souls the same way that we have them today. Yeah. And then on top of that, think about the uh, longer lasting repercussions of that. So Kiss has a huge hit with Crazy Nights. So then, of course, like you said, they're going to duplicate that. They're going to do it again exactly the same. It's going to crash hard because no matter what happens with Crazy Nights, what happens after is still the same. The music industry changes. They probably, Kiss gets hit a little bit harder because with when they come out of... When they come out of Crazy Nights, I mean, Crazy Nights is one of the most Bon Jovi-ish things that Kiss has ever done. And so to come out of that and then go to Hot in the Shade, which is a lot different than Crazy Nights. I mean, the production's way different. Slick and poppy, uh uh-uh, not on Hot in the Shade. So that's different. And then it takes another step darker with Revenge, like you said, when Kiss is back and they're tough again. And so to stretch that out even further, how does that affect the reunion then coming up later in the mid nineties, because if Kiss crashes hard, like Kiss had, they they were dropping, but it was steady. And the Kiss fans, the hardcore Kiss fans, never going to let this band completely die, no matter what they do. Even music from the Elder, the hardcore Kiss fans never let this band completely die. And I think that's something that's really cool about Kiss is the fact that even though a lot of times Kiss for their own benefit, has always been a band that could adapt, you know, adapt to whatever's popular. This goes in, eh, we can do a little bit of that on the new album. We'll call it Dynasty. Oh, you know, the the new wave of pop music is going on right now. The Cars and Blondie are real popular. We can do a little something like that, and we'll call it Unmasked, you know. And, yeah. then, and then, oh, you know, the wall is huge. We'll do music from the Elder. So no matter yeah. how far behind, because there always seem to be like a step behind when, they, when they're doing the trend hopping like that, because they're looking at, okay, what's popular right now? Let's write these songs. But then by the time the album comes out, maybe that's not the trend anymore, you know, because these things have so much of a, a flakiness to them that, you know, what's popular today doesn't mean in eight months that's still going to be popular. So being a yeah. step behind like that, then you really drop off hard. Now, Kiss is right in there with Poison, Trickster, all these other bands that hit so hard at that time, Slaughter even, you know, and Faster Pussycat, and all these bands that may have been great, but they all got sunk together. Kiss really gets sunk with that instead of just kind of skimming through it the way they did. 
by Crazy Nights being a huge hit, the drop off is that much harder. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, and it was they had two strikes against them to start with because one they were an older band, and it's like you know when you you look at hindsight when you look at what Paul and Gene's ages were at the time that Crazy Nights came out, it wasn't that old, but in 1987 it was considered old. So that's one strike against them, and then two, it's one of those things where they're trying to follow bands like Bon Jovi. Well, here's the thing. Because of point A, you're older, you don't have the youth market. So they lost that market. Like It's like you know they, they try to copy Bon Jovi. Well, Bon Jovi can get away with that and survive into the 90s because A, they're the biggest band in the world, and B, they're young guys. So you have the youth market following them. Kiss didn't have that luxury because most of their fans were older. So it was a thing like where they almost cut their throat at the same time where it's like you're not you're not appealing to teens anymore. They tried really hard to. I mean, they did to me, right. but I'm the exception, not the rule. So Bon Jovi survived into the 90s because, well, mostly because they were the biggest band in the world at the time. But every other band that tried to pull that same stunt didn't make it. And, you know, I don't know. I think you would – you might have even seen if, – if Crazy Nights had become a hit, I, I would say that you might have seen the reunion even earlier than than what we saw. You think it would have been like desperation because the crash so hard after Crazy Nights? Oh yeah, yeah. Because I mean, like they they did good enough with Crazy Nights and Hot in the Shade to where I think they were like, well, we can take a crack at the grunge market. And we'll try Revenge and and Carnival. They did like forever really save their asses. I mean that the success of that single really helped bail them out at a really rough point. It's but revenge didn't really sell a lot of records or I mean, um, forever didn't sell a lot of copies of hot in the shade. It did. Well, you remember the single, mm-hmm. like it, like it sold a ton of singles, but it didn't really sell a lot of hot in the shade albums. And, but also bringing slaughter and danger, danger and winger and bands like that onto the tour that helped bail those guys out. But, I think you would have seen the reunion about ninety three, ninety four, if Crazy Nights was a hit because the follow up would have been such a huge flop that they would have had to play the reunion card early, in my opinion. Yeah, I actually don't think it changes the trajectory of what they did at all. They would have done the uh, maybe the acoustic thing, but they definitely would have done the whole um, what do they call them the expos or whatever it was they went out and did the conventions. Convention, sorry, yes, the convention. Okay. Yes, they would have done those. They still would have done the reunion tour because they would have had to. And I don't think that's really not any different than while we all love revenge and we love that they toughened up. It didn't sell that well, so they still would have done the same thing they did, which was we have to re-embrace what we had done in the past. That's the only way we're going to move forward. You know, another thing and something that Chris said, too, about how the age difference is, you know, so Bon Jovi's coming out of the 80s and they're going into the 90s. Well, that means Bon Jovi's growing and maturing, you know, and and they're giving you a more grown up version of Bon Jovi now. Well, Kiss, they're already grandfathers, you know, (laughs) they're not going to mature any further. So with that in mind, I would 16 just gets creepier. It's weird. The the kiss what ifs are my favorite because it's fun to speculate. All right, here's one from Stuart Wade. For Ace Fraley's next covers album, name your dream songs for him to cover and who he should team up with on the song. 
I mean, I, Aaron and I have done this twice, yeah. <laughs> haven't we? Or we we've kind of like laid out what our our thoughts were on what A should cover and who should do he should do it with. I mean, I'll for me um, for my pick, I, there was a budgie song called Reaper of the Glory. That it was not a hit. It was on a deep cut album from like 1981. But listen to Reaper of the Glory by Budgie and tell me that doesn't sound like a perfect Ace Frehley song. And also the the solo on it sounds exactly like an Ace Frehley solo. Huh. And um, the second one that comes to mind is one of Aaron's picks, which was uh, You May Be Right by Billy Joel, yeah. which I, I kind of laughed at Aaron when he brought it up. But the more I think about it and the time I heard it, I'm like, this totally sounds like an Ace Frehley song. So those are my two picks. Yeah, I'm not even a big Billy Joel fan. And when we went when we did uh the Ace Cover Contenders episode so long ago now when the first Origins was just first being talked about and we said, Ace, here are our suggestions. Uh I see even then I'm not a Billy Joel fan, but this song with some Ace Fraley guitars and some good solid drums and bass backing it up could be a super awesome Ace Fraley song and it's You May Be Right by Billy Joel. Um for the next album, if I know it's probably already done, but if I had my choice, that song along with uh, Right Down the Line by Jerry Rafferty, and I'd like to hear him do Strange Ways with himself on vocals by Kiss, but do it with Ryan Cook, Jeremy Asbrock, Phil Sauce, and Matt Starr as your backup band. And if you're going to do some team-ups like you did on the last one, here's two. Just let me run this by you, Ace. I think you're going to love this. You already teamed up with her before. You can do it again. Team up with Lita Ford and do a cover of Hearts Barracuda with a ripping Ace Frehley guitar solo in it. Fuck yeah. Mm. And then team up with Lizzie Hale and do a cover of Hella Good by No Doubt with some Ace Frehley ripping guitar in there. Oh, how cool. Wow. Yeah. I'm telling you. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. I like it. What do you think? Well, John Astronomy, get out of the way and let Aaron Camaro be Ace's manager. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to, because he likes to cover classic stuff, so I would actually like to hear Ace. So there's two songs that have strong keyboards in them that I'd like to hear Ace do without the keyboards. But I'd like to hear him do some Doors. Mm-hmm. Not to Touch the Earth by mm-hmm. Ace, replacing the keyboards and crazy keyboards with his guitar work. Yeah, yeah. Be amazing. And then I'd love to hear him play some cars, even like just what I needed, you know, a big hit like that, but no keyboards, just guitars. Yeah. And if he does just what I needed, do it with Thunder Mother. Oh, nice. Use them as your backing band. That's a good Shit, idea. Yeah. When we had Joe Polo on the show, we talked about taking KISS members and fitting them into other bands. And that was my suggestion was Ace Frehley join the cars. Yeah, that would be great. I think he'd be awesome on a car song the other weird thing would be to and i don't know what song but chris you might like this but would be for him to cover a more recent volbeat song but have ace sing it and play on it wow i, I didn't even think to, to do that but i could see it she, yeah why not that's cool maybe uh maybe heaven or hell that that would be a good one for him yeah it would just i think his voice would be killer on one of their tunes yeah, mm. Ace definitely needs to put us in charge of picking out the songs for Origins Volume 3, maybe. All right, let's see what else we got here. Uh, here's one from Eladio. Around this time, 24 years ago, the KISS reunion tour commenced. Oh, man, can you believe it's been that long? 
No. Talk about your experience of going to this tour. Me, I had the experience of a lifetime. I was fortunate to be on the field at the Tiger Stadium show. Wow. I'm so jealous. <laughs> Honestly, I think about oh. this. These are some of the best times of my life. Some of the yeah. most exciting things that had ever happened to me. My whole entire life, from being a little bitty kid and listening to the old Kiss records that had came out years before I was old enough to even know what this stuff was. I was listening to them. I was a little child out of time. And growing up, you get into Kiss, they're current, you know, they're not wearing the makeup. You look, like I said, looking at the back of that Animalized album cover going, who are these guys? Where's Ace? You know, what's going on here? Always, always pining to wish, you know, it was to me, for me growing up, it was looking back on Kiss as something that we weren't lucky enough to have. Like the people that grew up in the seventies, man, they were so awesome. They were so cool. They had it so good. They had the real kiss, the real deal kiss with the makeup and the explosions and, you know, most popular band in the world. You know, here I am in junior high having to defend my love of kiss, you know, and almost having to fight over it with people because everyone says they suck. You know, the people in the seventies, nobody thought kiss sucked. Everybody loved them, you know, and always pining for that. And I'll never forget how important the unplugged was for the fact that Ace and Peter got back together with them on stage and were playing songs. I mean, I I cried. I cried when I seen unplugged. And when they made the announcement that Kiss was getting back together and putting on the makeup, all four original members, I mean, it changed my whole world. It became the most important thing in the world for me was to see Kiss. And... When they announced that Kiss was playing in Minneapolis, St. Paul, that was the closest place for me on the first run through, I had to go. I mean, we took a special trip from where I lived to Minneapolis to go to the venue to buy the tickets on the day that they came out because we didn't trust the Ticketmaster or whatever it was in the grocery store in town. We wanted to be there to make sure we got our tickets. We Nothing in the world was going to stop it. And man you know thinking back on those times i really miss those times in my life i don't think there was ever anything other than maybe the birth of my child that i ever looked forward to more than getting to see kiss reunited in the makeup in full power yeah i completely agree with you i remember i was that guy at a time when no one else liked kiss i was the kiss guy you know in my high school you know there's the guy that likes kiss he's got the back patch with all the old dudes on it (laughs) And, uh, you know, I, I was always that guy, even when I went to college and it was totally uncool to be a Kiss fan because you had the grunge years, the alternative, you know, that was all coming into play. And, and I remember my roommates, they were fairly supportive and I I actually managed to turn them on to Kiss. But when they made that announcement, I, I think it was the closest thing to true euphoria that I've ever felt in my life. It was like, oh my God. I'm actually going to have a chance to see this thing that I've just dreamed about for yes. years and years. And then actually going to Charlotte to the Charlotte Coliseum was the first show that I saw and getting on the floor. We had floor seats and it was all my college roommates at the time. And they were, I could just, you know, I wasn't really looking at them. I was just looking straight forward at that big, uh, you know, what was it? The big canvas or whatever they had covering the big curtain they had with Kiss logo on it, covering the stage, just waiting for that drop. But I knew my all my buddies were looking at me like, this guy's going to lose his shit. 
He is just watch him. He's going to lose his shit. And sure enough, as soon as that curtain opened, I lost my shit. Yeah. It was just this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Okay, so uh, I'm going to make things kind of heavy here. So I hope you guys are ready for this. Um, okay. So, so like leading up to this, like this, all of this happened at a very di- different time for my life. So I had started college. I was class '95. In, so my first semester in college, I saw the Unplugged in my dorm room, and I remember taping it on Halloween night on MTV, watching it. I still somewhere have the videotape that's got a combination of the O.J. Simpson verdict and the Kiss Unplugged from Halloween night, which is kind of funny. Um, so I watched that, and I remember thinking, they're going to get back together now. And then um, there, then I remember I was, I was home for a weekend out in the middle of the sticks, and... The singer from my band at the time called and goes, oh, I just saw Kiss on the Grammys. I missed the whole Grammys thing. I missed it. They go, I just saw Kiss and makeup on the Grammys. I'm like, how do they look? He said they looked old and fat. He was not a Kiss fan. But I was like, all right. I was like, all right, fuck you, whatever. I watched that. But um, then I remember seeing MTV cover the Intrepid Press Conference, and I remember taping that and watching it over and over and over again, just amazed that Kiss is in makeup and they're back together again. And then um, I got my tickets. Like they did the first leg of the tour. You, Aaron, you were lucky to see them on the first leg because they didn't hit Nashville in the first leg. Um, we were part of the what's quote unquote Lost Cities tour in 1997. Yeah, I think my second time was Milwaukee on that run. Right. So they they had put tickets on sale for that. I bought them with all the money I had. Literally, the last penny I had went to Kiss tickets, and. Um, I bought tickets and I was waiting for the show to happen and my dad passed away from a massive heart attack the week before the show. Mm. And so like visitation is going on during this week of the sh- the concert and it was it was unexpected. He didn't have any signs or anything. And a uh, brutal as you can imagine, brutal week for me and um my brother was here and then like I had a guy from the dorms at MTSU that was like, well, I want. I hadn't seen Kiss. He he saw Kiss on the Creatures tour, and he hadn't seen him since. And I was like, well, I tried to talk to my brother into going. He didn't want to go because he was distraught. I was distraught. I didn't want to go, honestly. And then my parent, my mom was, and some other family members were like, look, your dad knows how much you love you love Kiss, so he'd want you to go to this. And uh, so I called my friend from the dorms, and I'm like, do you want to go? He's like, yeah. So we went, and. Uh, I'll never forget seeing that curtain drop with the KISS logo on it while uh, the Who's Won't Get Fooled Again was playing over the PA. And that curtain dropped, and that was right when you knew KISS was about to come on. And uh, I had a good two and a half, three hours there where I forgot about what was going on in my life, and I enjoyed it. And uh, it was a hard... It was a, it was a good break from everything I was going through, but and I even wrote KISS a letter about this after the the whole thing happened i said you know you gave me two and a half hours outside of the hell i was going through losing my father and um but yeah that so obviously my reunion tour memory means a lot to me so um but yeah that was a definite i'll never forget seeing gene fly up to the rafters and spitting blood and looking at it through binoculars because i didn't have great seats i wasn't rich and um but yeah, I had a blast and really loved it. And I remember them playing Come On and Love Me and thinking, wow, I didn't expect them to play that because they changed up the set list for that. But uh, 
Yeah, I have nothing but good memories of that tour other than going through a difficult time when it happened. God bless Kiss. Yeah. Hmm. You said that was the Lost Cities tour when you saw that? Yeah, it was April 5th, 97. I saw the Columbus show. Oh, you were there the night before. (laughs) Yeah, and I remember going into that show, the Nashville show, thinking... Oh my God! Is Peter even going to play? Because I'd heard about the Columbus show where Peter didn't play. So, and then Peter showed up to the national show and he absolutely kicked ass. Like he had something to prove. I've never seen Peter's drum riser sh- shimmy and shake so much as that show. I thought the thing was going to come down because that guy was a little bit bigger than Peter. Yeah, yeah. He um, he definitely came out with something to prove that night in Nashville, and he they were they were on fire. They really kicked ass that night. And I remember they did Deuce, and the amps were, like, laying down flat. And then when they went into King of the Nighttime World, the amps started raising oh. up. Yeah. I, rem- I remember that really clearly. And, uh, yeah, they were they were on fire that night. They were all they were all about it. Oh, I'm glad you got to see an amazing show then. Yeah, yeah it, it definitely helped me during a very hard time. I hope that when we die and they say your life passes before your eyes, I hope you can slow down certain spots and watch because I would sure love to relive that day when I first seen Kiss in their makeup again. Yeah. I teared up during the show. I remember that. No, I did too. It was just like beyond butterflies. Like, you know, you get that feeling when you're just you're so anxious, but this was like a whole different feeling. I don't think I've ever experienced that feeling before because I was just – had waited so long to see this you know yeah. what i don't think i ever have either and i doubt in our lifetimes or anybody younger than us will ever experience a feeling like that ever again it's sad it's special is what it is yeah super special i'm glad it was special for us at least we got it all right let's move on john clark four he wants to see, he says uh he says pick a gene song you would like to hear Paul sing, and vice versa. Do the same with Peter and Ace. I put a little thought mm. to this one. I got myself a little list going here. <laughs> I didn't put any thought to this one. All right, so. well, well, then check mine out, because these are pretty good, and you can let me know what you think. All right, so we'll call this the original Kiss song swap. So for A songs, I'm going to give Dark Light to Gene Simmons. What do you think of that? I could hear it. It could be cool. Because I think that's like kind of the darkest song that Ace does. But here's the other thing I was thinking about. I can totally picture in my mind, I can hear it in my mind's ear, Gene Simmons singing Shock Me. Hmm. Yeah. It almost seems like a Gene song. Your lightning's all I need, you know? I could hear Gene doing that. For Paul, I'm going to give him Talk To Me. That would be good. Yeah, I could hear that. I could see Ace writing that for Paul and it working. And for Peter, I'm going to give him Save Your Love. Yeah, I could hear that. He would probably actually improve that song. I think so. Yeah. All right. For the you know, G- there's, there's a demo going around of um, Gene singing Baby Driver. Really? Oh, wait, I think I've heard that. Yeah. Is it him just kind of scatting it a little bit, trying to like lay yeah, down the it, idea for Pete? It's not like... It's not super organized, but it gives you an idea of what it would sound like. Yeah, I think I've heard that. That's wild. All right. For Gene songs, I'm going to give Ace 
plaster caster. I like it. All right. For Paul, I'm going to give him going blind. Hmm. I'm having a hard time hearing that. You having a hard time hearing that one? Uh, That seems like such a Gene song, though. I don't know. I I thought it seemed like, I think it seems like a weird Gene song. Like, it doesn't really seem like a Gene song. It was always something that was way different than everything else he'd done. And I thought, well, maybe Paul, you know, he could do it with his, you know, is he bust out that elder falsetto and maybe do something, make it something different. No, he must never bust out that. <laughs> you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. I, yeah, that's totally out of out of line. I should never. Yeah, you're right. Give that song to A so I could hear that. Okay. Well, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna give watching you to Peter. That works. Yes, that could be cool. All right. I just came up came up with one on the spot. I think Peter in like I know Peter didn't play on Unmasked, but could you imagine Peter singing tomorrow from Unmasked? Yes. Hmm. Yes, I could. I think that'd be cool. That could have been a hit. I say we give Peter the uh, the crappy single from En Mass. We give him Shandy. Ugh, no. That doesn't help or... I, I know. I was going to say I already don't like it. Yeah. But give it to Peter. Well, why you got to hit on Peter like that? Why not? All right. <laughs> so out of the Peter songs, I'm going to give Ace Dirty Living. That could work. I would uh, I would have Gene sing Strange Ways. That was my next one out of the eight, out of Peter's picks. I would have definitely have Gene do Strange Ways. He kind of already does the chorus anyway. Yeah. And then out of the Peter songs, I'm going to give Paul. I finally found my way. You can have it back, and now you know oh. how it feels. No, 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 no. We just need to strip that from the entire catalog. Yeah. No, no. Paul, yeah. ha- Paul needs to learn a lesson from this. Don't yeah, write crappy songs and give them to Peter Chris unless you're willing to sing them yourself. Yeah, he can have it as long as it doesn't get recorded. <laughs> Jesus, what an awful... That might be the worst Kiss song ever made. This is a learning moment for Paul. Don't just slap together some bullshit because somebody else in the band is going to sing it. Ugh, awful. And then out of the Paul songs, I'm going to give Ace... Originally, I said Rock Bottom. I think Ace singing the entire song of Rock Bottom would have been pretty badass. And then I thought about later on, and I know he didn't had no part in this, but he could have made these songs a little better, I think. Ace Fraley singing Partners in Crime. Hmm. Anything could improve that song. For Peter, I think you're going to love this. I'm going to give Peter Hotter Than Hell. That could work for sure. That would be really good, actually. I think yeah. so. I yeah. think that would that his vocals time yeah. at that time. His vocals were on fire. I think that might be the winner out of all of these. Out of all of these I listed so far, I think that one might be my favorite. And then finally, out of the Paul songs, I'm going to give Gene. Let's put the X in sex. It just seems like more of a Gene Simmons song. Maybe it would be better if Gene actually sang it. Does not change Crickets. my opinion. <laughs> I don't want anyone singing that song. <laughs> All right, then then I'll give Gene take it off. I, this is funny. I gave uh, my high school girlfriend, who I had only been going out with for maybe two months, I gave her for Christmas. I gave her Smashes, Thrashes, and that's the first song she puts in that she's ever heard Kiss. 
<laughs> oh, I'm sorry. And then she broke <laughs> up with me immediately. She slapped me in my face and marched out the door. Yeah, it didn't didn't have the impact I thought it would. So you open the cassette first and and fast forward it up to Beth with Eric Carr singing, and then give it to her. See, I needed I needed you there. Uh-huh. I, I did yep. things it's too naive. You know when I when I um when I started kind of wooing my wife when I, when we were working together at the IRS in Kansas City, no less. I uh, she was like, so what, what kind of music do you like? And I was like, oh, listen to this. It was a whole disc of different Kiss songs, and there was like Strutter and Black Diamond and stuff. And she's like, was this meant to be a mixtape? And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, well, all these songs are about like prostitutes and stuff. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> I like, yeah, I yeah, but know. what did you? I, but yeah, that's great. But I need to know what did you think of the lyrics of "Read My Body." I don't know. I didn't include that. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the countdown work is amazing. Yeah. Oh, shit. I accidentally gave you my pickup lines mixtape. Well, it was one of those honest situations where I honestly was just sending her songs that I liked, and she was like trying to read way into them. And I'm like, there's no meaning behind it. These are just Kiss songs that I like. She's like, oh, okay. Well, I know that I don't like Kiss. I'm like, okay. <laughs> oh, good. Because I thought you were a real creep at first. <laughs> Something must have worked out. Yeah, somehow. <laughs> so I think you need to give Ace Frehley, um clearly, I Still Love You, sung by Ace Frehley, would be just amazing. What? Ooh, that's a, <laughs> that's, wow. I Tell really can't that picture that. Could <laughs> you imagine? My oh, mind's wow. ear just said no. No, I can't hear that. No. <laughs> I would like to see some swaps on on some eighty stuff though, like um, the second song on Asylum. So any way you slice it, I'd rather have Paul singing that than Gene. Hmm. Yeah, I could see and that. And on the side or on Analyze, get all you can take. I'd rather have Gene sing that. Yeah, I like that too. Those are good ones. I'm sorry. I'm now going to have Ace Frehley singing I Still Love You in my head. <laughs> I still love you. I want to hear the whole out. And I'm trying to understand. <laughs> I right? had myself believing I could take it like a man. Like a man. Yeah, curly. Curly. Yeah, curly. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it now. Now I can totally hear it. Origins 4. <laughs> got any of them guitars? You got any Jackson guitars down there? <laughs> that was an awesome question. I like that one a lot. And that really makes you think, makes you wonder. All right, here's one from Jason Kearney. If you were able to be in the studio with Kiss while they're recording an album in the past, what one song would you tell them to delete that? Excluding the solo albums, because we already know that everyone would tell Pete to delete his entire album. Oh, that lady isn't waiting. Really? That's the one thing that you'd pick to say, don't do not do that. Well, I mean, I finally found my way. That would probably be, that would top that one. I'm going to go with, hey guys, hey, hey. No, no doo-wop covers. No crystals, then he kissed me bullshit. None of that. Stop I'll, that. I'll, I like that one. I agree with that because that album completely gets marred by that one song to yep. me. Uh, There's a reason Love Gun is not my favorite album. 
and that's it. That song drags Ow. that album down. Uh, y'all are crazy. That's a great cover. But Really? Wow. <laughs> I love it. But what I have always that. loved it. That's one of my <laughs> least favorite Kiss moments. <laughs> Come on. You got to get rid of I Am Just a Boy. Come on. Yeah. Oh, well, I, but that's, you might as well You're cancel that me? whole thing. <laughs> I actually hate Shandy. I could see that just going away forever, and I'd be happy. I don't mind Shandy. Shandy is a good song. And it, oh, you know, I said, so there's this guy at work um, who I was talking to, and he's like, oh, I'm into Kiss, too. And we were starting to have a moment. And I said, oh, well, I like everything that Kiss has ever done except Shandy. He's like, I named my daughter Shandy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know a girl that named her dog Shandy. I met a girl at a club when I first moved down to Nashville. I said, hey, what's your name? And she says, Shandy. I was like, is your dad a Kiss fan? And she's like, ah, Yeah. <laughs> maybe and, it was the guy that i know and then uh, i knew i wasn't i was out of luck because that put me in the category with the dad because i was like that's awesome you're one of those <laughs> i've always liked Shannon. you are musically too old to be talking to me sir <laughs> all right um let's see not a whole lot left um yeah, yeah. What's this one? Matt Weller's dick. Are the blue teardrops on Paul's face on the cover of Rock and Roll Over an error? Or was it meant to be that way? I don't it's understand a, what this is. I don't know about blue well, teardrops. There were several copies of the album where it looks like Paul has blue teardrops coming off of his eyes. And from what I've what I've read... It, it was a printing error. It wasn't. It wasn't intentional. But some people think it means that Paul's crying for some reason. But from what I gather, it was a printing error. Huh. I've never seen that. That's cool. Yeah. Are those worth a lot like, of money or something? I don't think they're worth a lot because there was quite a bit of them pressed up. Oh, but okay. uh, but yeah, it's a it's a printing error from what I heard. There you Not go. On my copy. Straight from Professor Kiss, right there. You got it. Uh, Jason Tucker says Revenge was my favorite album. We we already talked about some good Revenge stuff here today, I think. Um, was there a reunion attempted with Ace in 88? 89. Mm-hmm. It was 89 and 90. Um, from what I've heard, they were talking to... They were talking about having Ace be part of the tour, but I don't know if he was going to really rejoin. But they like they were flirting with with that that's the whole reason for the the rise to it video with the flashback to the makeup days yeah and so they were looking at doing i think what the plan was was to have ace be the opening act for the hot in the shade tour and then he shows up at the end of the show and in makeup and plays with them for a couple of songs but it it never worked out that would have been pretty killer though yeah that would be amazing to have yeah. him open and then come back at the end, especially if you didn't know about it. Because back then, you know, we didn't have the internet. We didn't know everything that was going to go on. That could have right. been cool. Yeah, I think that was the genesis of them talking about the reunion, but obviously it didn't go anywhere. But, I mean, the, the Rise to It video didn't really make any waves. So it was one of those things where it was just too early. Yeah, I mean, because when you consider 89 was, what, six years after they unmasked. So it wasn't that long, really. So I think the general public was kind of like, ah, fuck it, kiss and makeup, who cares? So they had to wait a little bit longer. 
I don't it know. When that happened for me, fun. man, I was completely blown away by it. Like I was, I heard that Kiss was going to appear in makeup in this video, and I, man, I was really, really excited to see it. And then when it kind of happened, it was like, well, that's kind of a bummer. I mean, they, well, yeah. where's Eric? Yeah, I mean, you, you know, and it's not the same. I mean, you and me were into it, and Kevin, but like, but the general public didn't. Right. It, I mean, like that video did not make any waves at all. I mean, it. Forever did well, but Rise, I mean, Rise to it was not in heavy rotation. And, and they tried to hype it on MTV. I'll still remember them hyping it. Yeah. And then then when it came out, I saw it like, I, well, of course, I watched the premiere like all of us did. But it never got a lot of airplay. So I think it was just one of those things where, like, they were hoping it would cause a big firestorm of interest, but it really didn't. Yeah. It made a difference to the guys that were called the Kiss guys, which were, you know, all of us in our high schools. Yeah. We were the, known as the Kiss guys, right? But, but ain't, yeah. it, ain't it funny though that when the reunion happens, then all of a sudden everybody's Kiss fans and everybody's been Kiss fans all along. Yeah, how about oh, that? Oh yeah, how about that? Assholes. Yeah, we bunch, were the Kiss fans. Oh yeah, a bunch of assholes that gave me shit for being a Kiss fan were like, "I'm going to the show." I'm like, "Well, fuck you." <laughs> awesome. Yeah, you wouldn't have said that two years ago. Hang on, I'm going to call Gene Simmons right now and make sure to get you blocked. You don't get to go in, you motherfucker. I know you. Secret agent. <laughs> it was, I mean, it was It was that drastic, though. People think we're joking, but it actually was that drastic. It was, we got shit for the band that we liked, and then within a year, all of a sudden, everybody was going to that show. Yep. Yep. That's the truth. Mm-mm-mm. A lot of poserism going on back then. But not us, because we love KISS. We stood up for KISS. We've always stood up for KISS. And here we are all the way in 2020, still talking about KISS. Gotta love that. Yep. All right, we got one more, and then we'll do a little game show action. We gotta wrap it up with Matt Porter. He's got a multiple-part question here. He says, first, do you think that we will get one final show? Two, do you think there's any footage still out there that we haven't seen? And three, do you love me? Well, I really love his limousine. All, I love the way love the wheels yeah. roll. Yeah, Matt Porter is like as lovable as you can possibly get. So, yeah, I mean, like, we we who all love Matt like, Porter. I guess the who answer to that is who don't exactly. And where is Matt Porter? Um, do I think we'll get one final show? Well, I don't know that it'll be actually advertised. I think they were they were trying to pull that off for 2021, and uh, thanks to COVID, they're like, you know, who knows what the hell's going to happen? Um, I don't, I don't know though. It's Kiss. If they decide to do one final show, I still think the best route would be to do, and this is fun. It's a four letter word to Gene Simmons, but do a free show in Central Park and broadcast it everywhere. Just just do a big blowout at the end do i think there's any footage out there that still exists that we haven't seen yes i know there is because i know some people that are massive collectors of really rare footage and there's stuff out there that we definitely that i haven't seen that a lot of us haven't seen i'm sure there's plenty of good stuff uh what i hope there is is a full creatures of the night actual u.s tour stop because the rio stuff is not really the indicative of the tour and do we love you? Yes, I love you, Matt. Hmm, I'd love to see that. Anything that's out there. I always kind of fantasize about, you know, somebody going through their attic 
and finding this old tape, this old reel, and going, well, what is this? You know, and then find out, oh, it's something like that. It's a show from the Creatures of the Night tour in some arena that was half full and Kiss doing their best because there's really not a lot of that stuff out there. Just anything, you know, anything that we haven't seen before. And you got to think, you know, how different is it now in the Internet age versus when we were kids trying to learn as much as we could about Kiss and all we had was magazines. Exactly. And now everything's so available at your fingertips, but that's the beauty about KISS. There's always some sort of mystery involved with KISS, you know, some kind of intrigue. And the idea that this band has been around for so long, and any time you could just log on to YouTube one day and, holy shit, here's something I've never seen before. Because it's happened, you know. It's happened several times since the Internet's become a thing. Yeah, I want a really good... Pro Shot Asylum video, and I would love from the tour, and I would love to get a really good lick it up one as well. Do you really want to see Gene Simmons on the Asylum tour in pro quality? (laughs) HD. I want to see that get up in HD. Yeah. Absolutely. The Mod of Thunder. I want to see (laughs) all them chins. Yeah. I want to see the stairs. I want to see Bruce Kulik run up the stairs and trip. I wish there was just footage for everything. I, what I want to see is like like there's cool um, Carnival of Souls studio footage of them recording the record. I want to see that for every record. If anybody just would have known back then how valuable content would become. Oh sure, well like studio stuff is fascinating to me to find out like from. The genesis of a riff idea, how it becomes into a song. I love all that stuff. I would watch that all day long. Like if you could travel back in time and whisper in somebody's ear, you travel back to like 72 and be like, film everything, Gene. Film everything and make sure it's preserved and don't ever lose it and save it all somewhere so that someday in the 2000s beyond, you release it and it'll be so important. But save and document everything. And stop singing about um, 16-year-old girls coming out of high school. And no doo-wop covers. (laughs) (laughs) You can put it all out in a vault. Yeah. You can have multiple vaults. Let me me tell you what you're going to charge for a vault someday. You could have (laughs) multiples of these. And it will actually sell. It will sell. Yeah, believe it. Well, that's awesome, man. We had a lot of great KISS questions today. Thanks again for the listeners, everybody that took the time to participate and help us guide the conversation. We got some we could have got to today. We got a few more. Maybe we can slide them over to next week because it's KISS in July, so we're going to be doing this kind of thing all month long. But I got to know right now, I'm ready if you guys are. Who's ready for some Beat the Geek? All right, so here we are. The number one most awesome, most important, most everything. It's everything. It's Beat the Geek. I'm your host, Aaron Camaro. I'm also the judge and the uh, question writer and the timekeeper and the scorekeeper. And we've got two 
competitors with us today. Chris Sinzak, you're on a five-week winning streak. How does that feel? It feels great. I've had several beers, so anything would feel right right now. But, yeah, I hope I can uh, retain my throne. Well, getting sloppy drunk has been working for you the last five weeks, so let's see how that carries into tonight. (laughs) Kevin Williams. I was sober last week. (laughs) Kevin Williams, first-time challenger on Beat the Geek. You know how the game works. How do you feel about your chances? Just want to say happy birthday, America. I am uh, seven beers in. And I have Ron Runyon and Joe Polo on a lifeline on my phone right now, so I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> oh, boy. And as we know, Ron Ron knows all the answers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I wonder how that is. This is turning into one of them episodes that's almost like a rock and run, because if you people listening to this didn't realize, I think we all got pretty good buzzes on at this point. Oh, yeah. I'm halfway right. through Giant Bloody Mary number three. My wife hit our shot glasses, so I'm just guessing how much vodka I'm putting in these things. Oh, boy. Nonetheless, my game show host duties come first, or second, or at the same time. Here we go. So you know how it goes. Chris is the geek. He's going to start. The first question goes to him. Chris, you ready? I'm ready. All right. Funny Money was a band formed in 1996 by the lead vocalist, of which band? Of course, we're going to go over to Kevin. Ask, hey, Kevin, do you think Chris Sinzak knows who the lead singer of Funny Money is, or do you want to bet against him? I will bet against him. All right, right off the bat, hot and heavy, high stakes. Chris Sinzak, you're on the line. So who is the lead singer of Funny Money? Is it Steve Whiteman from Kicks, Donnie V from Enough's Enough? Kevin Dubrow of Quiet Riot, or Stevie Rochelle of Tough? I'm pretty sure the answer is Steve Whiteman. That is correct. Damn. Yep. On hiatus was was kicks at that time, and so that was what Steve Whiteman went on to do, which, you know, we were talking about my massive CD upload I just got, and I got two Funny Money CDs, and I was listening to one of them. Pretty damn good. Mm Mm-hmm. All Are right. there fireworks in the background? Yes. What is that? <laughs> I hear fireworks. Yeah, it's like it's like a fucking war zone in my neighborhood right now. I can hear it. <laughs> uh, happy birthday, America. You got our neighbors are helping us out with this one. So Chris got it right, and he was bet against. Right off the bat, Chris Sinzak's off to a two-point lead. Nice. Never fear. We've got 11 questions, and we're only going to number two. Right now, it's Kevin's question. Actor Norman Reedus, best known for his role as Daryl Dixon on The Walking Dead. He's got a tattoo on his upper chest that pays tribute to this rock legend. Chris, does Kevin know what tattoo gives Daryl the power to survive the zombie apocalypse? I think I know this one, but I don't think Kevin knows this one, so I'll bet against him. All right, shots fired. Betting against you. Kevin, your choices are Chris Cornell, Lemmy, Alice Cooper, or Kurt Cobain? I'll go with Cobain. That is incorrect. Daryl Dixon, the power to survive the zombie apocalypse. It's the power of Lemmy. 
on his chest. He's yeah. got it. So, Kevin, you were bet against, and you got it wrong. So Chris Sinzak gets a point. Three to nothing. I guess I have to drink, right? Is that the way this works? Uh, sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Do it. Can't hurt. All right. So that brings the question back to Chris. Damn. <laughs> Are they in your house, literally? <laughs> They're like right next door. Wow, that's awesome. I wonder, yeah, because I didn't know who's, I suppose you're probably, if somebody's listening to this, you're probably hearing fireworks from all three. You're getting fireworks from all over America, people. <laughs> it's like a KISS concert in here. They're Damn. all celebrating Chris's imminent <laughs> they don't want, yeah, they don't want me to win. They're going to bomb my yeah. house. If Chris Sinzak's <laughs> house blows up, Kevin, you win by default. Yeah. Even, like even if you are down by three points. And you become the new co-host of the Decibel Geek Podcast. <laughs> well, you don't want that. By default, you were the last one. You're in now. <laughs> All right, let's try to keep this going. Chris, it's your question. In 1983, the manager of this band saw Wasp in concert and helped them get signed to Capitol. Kevin, does Chris know which band's manager discovered Wasp? I think he does. All right, Chris, you're not being bet against. And your choices are Crocus, Ozzy Osbourne, Iron Maiden, or Ted Nugent. This is going to be a complete guess. I'm going to guess Crocus. That is incorrect. Actually, it was Rod Smallwood, the manager of Iron Maiden, who caught that oh. fateful show with Wasp and said, man, this band's got something. We can get these guys signed. All right, you were not bet against, and you got it wrong. No points awarded. Back to Kevin Williams. All right. Here you go. I know you're a punk rock guy. You might like this. G.G. Allen was a notorious, controversial punk rocker. What was his birth name? Chris, <laughs> does Kevin know what G.G. Allen's proud parents named him? I think he knows this one. All right, Kevin, you're not being bet against. Your choices are Gregory Glorious Allen, Aldolf Caligula Allen, Ball Lucifer Allen or Jesus Christ Allen? I actually don't know this. Wow. <laughs> awesome. All right. Gre- uh, Gregory Glorious, Eldolf Caligula, Ball Lucifer, or Jesus Christ? I just wanted to hear all those again. We'll, we'll go with A. That is incorrect. Yeah, Jesus Christ. I threw the double G's at you to throw you off, and you bit. Yeah, his parents actually named him Jesus Christ Allen. It's a wonder he turned out the way he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, watch the documentary called Hated by Todd Phillips. It's pretty amazing. I tried to watch some of the do- one of the documentaries and uh, couldn't get past the shitting on stage, so. I had to cut it off I was getting a little grossed out yeah that's pretty bad All right, Chris did not bet against you but you got it wrong so no points awarded score remains 3 to nothing Chris and it is his question so I gave you a punk rock question I guess let me give Chris one too 
on the 1992 Ramones album, Mondo Bizarro. Even though he was no longer in the band, Didi Ramone gave the band three songs to use in exchange for this. Kevin, does Chris know what kind of trade Didi worked out with the Ramones for the 1992 album Mondo Bizarro? Chris knows his Ramones, so I will not bet against him. All right, you're not being bet against. Your Ramones card is on the line. Did the Ramones agree to let Didi back into the band? Did they agree to post his bail when he was jailed for marijuana possession? Did the Ramones pay to get Didi caught up on his delinquent child support payments? Or the Ramones agreed to take his hip-hop act, Didi King, on tour? Oh, shit. Um, was it, I think it was child support payments, but I'm probably wrong. Is that your guess? That's my guess. I knew it was a guess because it's incorrect. Dee uh, Dee Ramone actually got picked up for uh, buying some weed somewhere in New York in a big bust. And the Ramones posted his bail in exchange for three songs that he wrote that they could use on the album. So Chris got it wrong, but Kevin did not bet against him. So no points awarded. We remain score three to nothing. I'm doing amazing. All right. Sometimes maybe drinking excessively is not the answer, but we'll see. (laughs) We'll see. We're at about the halfway point here. The kiss round is coming up. You know that thing can always change, change everything, the kiss round. But first, before we get there, Kevin, it's your question. Mainly known as a founding father of the L.A. Guns, Tracy Guns has been associated with many bands and projects over the years. In the year 2000, he was hired to be the touring guitarist of this band. Chris, does Kevin know what Tracy Guns was up to in the year 2000? I'm going to play it safe and say he knows. All right, you're not being bet against. In the year 2000, was Tracy Guns a touring guitarist for Poison, Drowning Pool, Mott the Hoople, or Buck Cherry? Wow. Mm. Give me the choices one more time. Poison, Drowning Pool, Mott the Hoople, or Buck Cherry in the year 2000? I'll go with Buck Cherry. That is incorrect. Damn it. Mm. Actually, there was a squabble within Poison, and CC DeVille was out for the second time. Tracy Guns was brought in to help with the tour. God, I don't remember really? that. That is correct. He actually played shows with them? Yes, he played shows with Poison, but he was never played on an album. It was just a little bit in 2000. He was a member of the touring band. Wow. I'm going to check and that. I, no and I think it all, and there was two stories in it because there was the Brett side of the story and the Cece side of the story. Was that Brett Cece said, "Hey, can my band Samantha Seven open the shows? I can play both. You know, I can play Samantha Seven, and I'll come right back out with Poison and do the show with you guys." And according to Cece, Brett said, "Yeah, no problem." And then right at the last minute, said, "No, you can't do that." 
And so that pissed off CeCe, and he said, fuck it, I'm out of here. And that was when he went and just concentrated on Samantha 7. And then the other side of the story, Brett was like, he never brought this to me. And then all of a sudden, at the last minute, he just kind of assumed that that was going to happen. But why would I have him open the show and also being poison he should be concentrated on poison so it was a whole big thing but cc left for a little bit and tracy guns was who they brought in look it up wow is what i'm saying i, I never saw, i never knew that all right I look it up actually, i think what he actually says hey hey let me let me play samantha seven <laughs> that guy's voice oh my god man but he's such a good singer <laughs> oh yeah it's just his speaking voice that is weird. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> have you seen any footage of Tracy Guns playing with them? Uh, no, yeah. but I didn't try to look it up either. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I was just looking for facts. All right, so not bet against. Got it wrong. No points awarded. Still three to nothing. What a barn burner this one is. Hey, I'm winning. I don't care. All right. So the question goes back to Chris. And this is the last question before double the points in the kiss round. So before we get there, the album cover artwork to the 2006 Black Label Society album, Shot to Hell, features three nuns engaged in this activity. Kevin Williams, does Chris know what these nuns are up to? Yes, he knows this. All right, Chris, you're not being bet against. Are these nuns shooting rifles, drinking shots, shooting pool, or kissing the devil? Shooting rifles, aren't they? That is incorrect. Oh, damn. On the cover of Shot to Hell, the nuns are shooting a game of pool. Well, damn. Billiards. I would have, yes, I would have also accepted billiards. <laughs> you should have bet against me, man. You should have bet against him. I assumed you knew that one. I didn't. You guys are not doing good on the betting against each other. When you bet against each other, you mess it up. But you're going to have to do something because the score is three to nothing, Chris. But here we go. It's time for the kiss round. It's double the points. And in a good number of the last few weeks, the big turnarounds have happened in the kiss round. So the first one goes to Kevin. In 2009, Ace Fraley played the national anthem at a home game for this NFL team. (laughs) I wish it was the Green Bay Packers, but it's not. Chris, does he know which team it was? Well, I certainly know, but uh, I'll say uh, I'll say I'll say he doesn't know. Wow, big points on the line, Kevin. You're being bet against. The right. team that Ace Fraley played the home game, the national anthem in 2009, was it the San Diego Chargers, the New York Jets, the Kansas City Chiefs, or the New York Giants? San Diego. That is incorrect. Oh, man. And I thought Chris gave it away. I know. Me too. When I first said that. It was the Kansas City Chiefs. Oh. Chris's favorite team. (laughs) I thought for sure when you said, well, I know what it is. I know. He's going to hear Chiefs and be like, oh, yeah. I left my mouth. I'm like, I'm a fucking idiot. (laughs) (laughs) I did not on that. 
Well, what could have been four <laughs> points for Kevin ends up being two points for Chris because he did bet against you and it's double the points. Brings the score up five to nothing. Ooh. Now, getting spanked. Chris is turning the kiss round. With the help of the kiss round, you still got a chance here. It's slight, but you got a chance. <laughs> I like your optimism. Thank you, Aaron. That's what I'm here for. I wear many hats on this game show. Therapist is only one. In 1988, Back to Back released the limited edition interview CD, Kiss, 15 Years On. The CD cover art features Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, Eric Carr, and which Kiss guitarist? Kevin, does Chris know what 15 Years On is? Well, I need points, so I just have to bet against him. All right, Chris, you're being bet against on the Picture Disc album interview CD, 15 Years On. Is it Ace Fraley, Vinnie Vincent, Mark St. John, or Bruce Kulick? I'm pretty sure it's Ace Fraley. That is correct. Even though it came out in 88, it's got pictures like the Elder, kind of in between Elder and Creatures of the Night era. So, How many points is that, Aaron? Tell us. Well, that would be uh, <laughs> double the points. Chris was bet against. He got it right. That's four points. Ooh, that sucks. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got two more questions just for fun. Well, why not? It's 4th of July. Let's have some fun. All right, Kevin, your turn. Who holds the record for all-time most Grammy nominations without a win in the best metal performance category? Chris, you want to bet against him? Sure. You going to throw a little dirt at him for the little salt well. in the wounds? No, I'm trying to help him by betting him against him. All right, Kevin, you're being bet against. In the best metal performance category at the Grammys, this band has been nominated more than anybody else without a win. Is it Ministry, Megadeth, Nine Inch Nails, or Slayer? I thought Jethro Tull was going to be in there. No? No. Oh, they, had a- <laughs> they only got nominated once, and they won. And they won. <laughs> I'll go with Slayer. I think you're right. That is incorrect. Actually, it's Ministry that has been nominated six times but never won a Grammy. Okay, is Ministry even metal? Uh, According to the Grammy Awards, I don't, you know, what what the Mm. fuck do the Grammys know? But, yeah, I guess Ministry kind of is metal. It's like industrial metal, metal, right? Mm. Okay. They got electric guitars? They do have that. They're metal. <laughs> Buried in the mix, but yeah. It's in there. That's all you need. You got it. You got to at least have that. Yeah, that's true. Has Slayer ever gotten one? Do we know this? Um, I don't know. I didn't get that think, far into it. I know they've been nominated, but I guess not as many times yeah. as the ministry. I got to think Slayer has gotten one at some point over the years. So- yeah. They were nominated for Divine Intervention, I believe. Yeah. I don't know for sure. Yeah. It's got to kind of suck for ministry. You know, they're like, hey, we got nominated six times. We're not even sure if we're metal or not. <laughs> so, Aaron, tell us what our amazing <clears throat> score is now. <laughs> well, as we go into this final question here, 
The score is eleven to zero. <laughs> you guys are that high? Am I the worst ever? On, I think right now you are. I don't know. Ian Wadley did pretty bad. So you might be right on level with him, I think. Oh, I think he might have even got one right, but you still got one chance here. There's all these fireworks going off, guys. I just can't, I can't hear anything. I'm sorry. Yeah. Excuse me. It's messing me up, too. All right, final question, just for the hell of it. Chris Sinzak, in 2004, Sanctuary Records released the lost 1978 self-titled debut album by the band Shark Frenzy. This band features this future legendary guitarist. So this album is recorded in 78, self-titled, Shark Frenzy is the name of the band. It never gets released. As a matter of fact, the tapes all get damaged and stuff. Somewhere in the early 2000s, the tapes are discovered, and they say, whoa, this is this guy's band from like 1978. Kevin Williams, go ahead and bet against him. What the hell, right? I'm betting against him. Shark Frenzy. All right, Chris Sinzak is Shark Frenzy. The band of Steve Vai, Richie Sambora, Jerry Cantrell, or Kirk Hammett? Where the fuck do you get these questions from? Um, Shark Frenzy. I'm, look at, I'm looking at Timeline. 1978, originally released in 2004. That seems, that seems way too early for Jerry Cantrell, so he's out. Kirk Hammett? I don't know though. He like his first real thing was Exodus. Who were the other two? Richie Sambora and Steve Vai. And Richie Sambora wasn't doing much of anything, and he auditioned for Kiss in '82, but I don't think he did anything much before that. So I'm going to say Steve Vai. You are incorrect. Who was it? Richie Sambora. Really? Yep. These are considered to be some of his first recorded. His first recorded music, as far as anything done professionally, so he must have been pretty young. But yeah, it's out on Sanctuary Records. It was released in 2004. I have no idea if it's any good. I've never heard any of it. Never it's, even heard of that. It's got to be amazing. It's called Shark Frenzy. Exactly. But guess what? <laughs> Chris, you were bet against, and you got it wrong. Kevin Williams gets a point. He's not shut out. But I am still the worst ever, right? Give me that at least. Uh, I think so. Yeah, I definitely yeah. think so. This was a pretty poor showing for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. What do I know about not obscure music? Exactly. I guess these bands, I oh, my questions, are you saying my questions are all so mainstream you couldn't handle any of them? Talking about talking about fashion plates like kicks and and uh, you know Iron Maiden. Well, I guess Iron Maiden's pretty popular. <laughs> it would have been hilarious if you had tailored all the questions to Japanese like anime metal bands. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I've always aspired to something. And Biggest Loser, I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take it. Chris. <laughs> Oh, no, I'm just glad you could come on the show this yeah, week. Yeah, this uh, was fun. Aside from the trivia game, it was good to have you on. <laughs> Don't let him fool you. He'll be bragging about it. Nah. He's going to hang up on us and go straight to his wife, and you know what he's going to say? <laughs> Six weeks in a row, baby. 
Yeah, and you know what she's going to say? Big fucking deal. <laughs> and Chris is going to say, well, funny you mention that because that's a, a, a song by Slick Toxic that I really like a lot. Would you like to talk more about this? Wow. Yeah. I think that was on the Shark Frenzy tape. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> that's a Shark Frenzy song from 1978. Hey, baby, I want to show you something new I learned tonight recording the show. It's called Shark Frenzy. <laughs> That sounds so awful. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 it's got Richie Sambora. Oh really? Well, tell me more. Oh, you can you can bet I'm going to look that up when we get off the phone. <laughs> it sounds so bad that I want to go hear it. Yeah, me I'll too. Bet. I mean, what was he? Ten years old? He's in a band. With, say, he's in a band with a bunch of thirty and forty year olds, and like he's ten. Can't you just see them sitting around in a circle, you know, passing the joints, going, what's, what's our band name going to be? Dude, I got it. Shark Frenzy. Rolls off the tongue like Savage Animal. Uh, we're going to be huge. I would call this the Fireworks Podcast. Yeah, there's now nothing I can do about that, Now I can that, hear guys. it all I'm on sorry. my end here. <laughs> it's alternating. Some of these fireworks are coming to you from Davidson County, Tennessee. Some of them are coming to you from outside of Atlanta, and some of them are coming to you from Rutherford County. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like recording during a Kiss concert. Kind of, which is fitting because, you know what, you, you can't get mad when everybody's outside celebrating Christmas in July. I mean, you can't blame them, right? It's true. No. Fire it up, I'm just, people. I'm just proud to be part of Christmas in July. I got This is pretty impressive. When we'll we're do done a, recording, uh, I'm going to go open my door and yell outside, I love Kiss too. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kevin, do a uh, quick plug for your, for your podcast real quick. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, in Obscuria podcast, uh, where we exhume obscure rock and punk and metal and um, – Basically, what I do is I have my partner in crime, Robert Harrison, who was a guitarist in one of the bands I was in. Um, I basically put together the shows and then spring it on him. So he's basically reacting to obscure artists or songs. Uh, sometimes we do a single artist. Sometimes we do genres. But he's purely reacting to the songs that I'm playing. And uh, I kind of go through the facts, and he just reacts to it and tells me if it sucks or if he likes it. <laughs> and... Uh, mm-hmm. You know, sometimes we bring on special guests, uh, people that we know, to try to guess who the artists are. We just had our first kind of game show uh, this past week where we brought in Jeremy Zamora, who was a, a guitarist that I played with in a band called The Swear. And um, that was a one nothing victory. Uh, th- I think we went through 11 or 12 songs and they only got one. So that's kind of how I feel tonight here. I was going to say, uh, I hope you're better at your own game show. Yeah, well, I was EMC, so I didn't have to didn't have to participate. There but, you go. See, yeah. that's that's the secret. That's where you messed up. Exactly. So you're gonna have to play eventually. I'll um, have to come on your show and play it. Yeah, exactly. You gather you gather up eleven questions, and I'll challenge Chris, and we'll do it on your show. Yeah, there we go. Sounds good. So that's what we do at In Obscuria. Um, you know, I, I listened to you guys for years and other podcasts as well. And I went to the Rock and Pod and made a lot of friends. And I just realized that I wanted to do kind of my own thing. So that's what an obscurity is. And I like it. I think you and Robert got really good chemistry together. I like the concept of you've got all the information and you're going to lay it all out for him and he's going to discover it for the first time. And 
I think my favorite thing, and I would recommend this to anybody that's listening to your show, keep a pen and paper handy because you're going to write down the names of bands because this is the cool thing about Kevin, and anybody that heard his past appearances on Decibel Geek knows this. If I had a band or I had something that I needed to sell to somebody, I would call Kevin and be like, pitch this for me because the way that Kevin explains and describes the music that he's talking about and tells the stories of the bands that he's done the research on it really draws you in and makes you want to like these bands you know and so then when i'm hearing something like for example red fang was a band that i'd never heard before and it was like wow you know just hearing kevin you tell the story about this band or talk about them made me want to hear them. And then when I heard it, I was like, oh, fuck, yeah, i got to find some of this. And now I've got myself a Red Fang CD, and I think it's the first of a few that I'm looking for. But that band definitely made my list. So if you're doing, if you're listening to podcasts, these kind of rock podcasts especially, because you want to discover new stuff, then Obscuria is something you definitely want to check out. And like I said, keep a pen and paper handy because you're going to want to write down the bands that Kevin and Robert are teaching you about. Wow, man. Thanks for that. Yeah. I always put uh, show notes in our podcast because of that fact that I know that I'm introducing most people to these things for the first time. Uh, so that's always there as well. But thanks, man. Appreciate that. Right on. That's awesome. I appreciate that. You're going to save me some time and some ink. <laughs> <laughs> We're having too much fun tonight. This is great. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for coming on again, Kevin. And uh, wait a minute. Thanks wait for a minute. For wait. Wait a minute. What? We cannot cannot let Kevin go without talking about this new album. Yeah, man. We got to talk about this album now. We, Chris and I, got to hear this, and it's you know what? I'm just going to straight up tell you, it's fucking awesome. The swear is back together. I guess you tell us what's going on with the swear. All I know is you sent us some songs, and they're freaking awesome. So tell us what's going on. Yeah, so, I mean, if you guys remember, the way that, that we kind of first met was I was pitching the swear to you guys to say, hey, I love your podcast. I'm in a band called Swear. Is there any way we could you know promote on your show? And you guys actually played it. I mentioned that earlier. And we actually... Um, we didn't disband, but we kind of went on hiatus. Our singer, Elizabeth Elkins, moved to Nashville, where you guys are, and she started kind of a country career. And so we, we've been on hiatus for quite a while. We haven't recorded since um, 2013. And so Elizabeth, last year, she she calls me up and says, hey, I'm, I'm getting tired of the country thing. It's getting a little mundane. I want to rock out again. Uh, do you have any songs? And so I sent her a couple of songs and she sent me some of hers and we just agreed we're going to, we're going to put the swear back together. We didn't, we didn't know who was going to play guitar. We, we reached out to our original drummer, Kent Oberly, who's an amazing drummer. And, um, we actually went to Nashville in December to Blackbird Studios, which was an amazing, amazing thing to do. And we recorded seven songs and four of them I wrote. And, uh, we also, got some friends to help sing some background vocals on it and uh it's coming out july 17th we have uh rachel bowling from skid row who's a buddy of ours who's singing on one of my songs that i wrote so i can now scratch that off my bucket list that i wrote a song and rachel's on it nice and uh yeah man it's coming out on the 17th we released our first single 
uh, last week or two weeks ago. And the, the whole album comes out on the 17th. You can go pre-order it if you want. It's on theswear.com, or you can go to Bank and pre-order it. That's yeah, awesome. no joke. I mean, we've said it all along. We love the swear. I like the old stuff. That I mean, because Kevin sent this stuff to us years ago, and I remember Chris giving them to me, and the posters and everything that you sent. Man, I'm looking at it right now. I got the swear poster with the the skeleton down praying. I got yep. that. I got that poster up on the Decibel Geek Studio wall right now, right across from me, and. That music you sent was awesome, and we played it and loved it. You know, so we've been fans all along. But I mean, this new stuff is really, really good. And you know, I think if Elizabeth was here, she would tell everybody it's a cautionary tale. If you're feeling like going country, don't do it because it's going to get mundane real quick, and you're going to come right back to the rock where you belong. And that's what this new album is to me. I mean, you guys have come back and maybe stronger than ever. The songs on this album are freaking awesome and it ain't no surprise that rachel boland heard this and said i want to be on that song because it's good stuff so i know it doesn't come out till july can we play a song tonight yeah i think we should play a song tonight can we play Absolutely. a song that i really 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 like a lot off this album you name it you got it man there's a song that you guys have on the new album it's called ike turner and i just freaking love this song man that's the one i want to play on the way out today let's do it chris anything to say before you go you champion you <laughs> i'll just thanks aaron again for all the hard fucking questions and thanks uh kevin for coming on the show again and thanks for all the great music from the swear and uh thanks everybody for listening Desire. 